Okay. So this is how it's going to start. It has to. There's no other way. Joe, you were informed that you have resting bitch face. No, resting you... bitch face voice. Oh. Well, no. No, no, no. No. no? The vocal equivalent of re... No, no. The, yeah, just the look. Just, just the look. Yeah, resting bitch face. That's resting bitch face. Yeah. And you I didn't did... know what that was? No idea. And it's always a lady named Karen that has resting bitch face. <laughs> Fucking Karen. <laughs> I, I don't... Yeah, it came out. Uh, it was. I, uh, I was. T- it was Berkey, I think. <laughs> which is, which is From even the nicest guy on the planet. Yeah, you were told that you have resting. We're, bitch we were face. talking about like I don't know being intimidated or something. I'm like, yeah, people told me I'm intimidating. I don't get it. And Berkey goes, well, that's because you have resting bitch face. Holy <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Shit. <laughs> Wait, and I, then I, I, I got look, something new. And then I had to look it up. For once, I'm speechless. I don't know which angle to poke this at. Like the fact that Joe didn't know what that is, or the fact that he thought he was intimidating. No, that I was. No, that I'm not. <laughs> Do you know what is intimidating? Your your voice projection is intimidating. If I just heard you through a wall, I'd be like, "That's like a very angry person, three hundred pound man on the other side of that." <laughs> So why is he so mad that the lycra doesn't fit properly? <laughs> Wait, how many times did I get Tourette's in the mailroom this last week? I, I lost fucking count. <laughs> he was a little irate about my note on the heater. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So welcome to... Uh, it sounds like Saturday night in the uh, Dissect Podcast Studio, but it, uh, it's not yet Saturday. Uh, returning guest, Joel Holmes. We think this is uh, Joe's sixth or seventh visit. Not totally clear. Um, we know it's the sixth or seventh week for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me just start this off by saying thank you for all of your help in the mailroom, shipping out the books, and uh, and uh, I don't know. We'll uh, just leave me your mailing address. We'll get you that employee of the month plaque once uh, we have that made for you. Uh, I'll send my parking uh, space. Uh, sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to. You'll, you need. You need the parking. Per, you need to turn in your parking permit when your uh, temporary right. employment, <laughs> your temporary volunteer gig is over. Do you think we could look into a temp agency, like hiring us out some people? Why? I'm here in the van. <laughs> <laughs> That's not right. Michael's here, yep. mocking Joe. Always. No, I'm still. No. I. I have. I have questions and concerns about how the award was judged what kind of biases were were had oh, by the there, judgment of the employee there was no commu- just- <laughs> I, I, I just saw like something popped up on my computer that's set and it was like like you know when and, and it said tomorrow like, march 1st is employee appreciation day so i took a screenshot of that and sent it to him I and like then uh, one fucking day. <laughs> yeah it's just one day yeah. Yeah. yeah 364 days of bending you over the fucking barrel one day Maybe you get taken to dinner. Nice. Is awesome. there a 1099 appreciation day? <laughs> Can it be at the coachman? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they have, well, they serve breakfast all day. I don't know if they serve dinner all day. And we definitely know they have early bird special. We, we do. We're, we're pretty sure it starts around 4.30. 
p.m. <laughs> we're both pretty sure we're of age to take part in that. <laughs> <laughs> if I loved green beans, like overcooked green beans, I'd be in there for sure. Have some of that, mix it with my mashed potatoes because my dentures, you know, you got to overcook the beans. So that's why, that's why you, you don't know that the, why the early bird special is always meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and overcooked green beans. Tooth that's all they can dude. gum. Yeah. Oh. It's the only texture no, that goes down. No, that's all we. <laughs> oh, it's getting dark already. Yeah. So but we have a fourth guest. But we have a fourth guest to, to, to shed light and sunshine. And I am dearly looking forward to sort of getting back oh. at Eric Matthews. Oh. For put me on the spot in some of these interviews. Oh, in the past. oh wow! I yeah. mean, I, truly, this is fun, and that was professional, and you were just doing your job. And what was the, the title <laughs> that we were thinking about? What did you say that we're going to call this episode? Man, even when you guys are fucking around, something. Yeah, you let me don't fuck. Let around. me read the quote. Oh, okay. Just Here I, had to, I had to write it down. I have a second option. Oh, okay. Three nihilists in a podcast guest. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I think we gotta go with that. That's, uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> we gotta go with that. That's pretty good. I'm hoping Eric redeems us because he's an actual professional, and we're just acting. Not even. Not even. We're <laughs> badly acting. I'm um, tired. Uh, so with, I'm t- <laughs> I've been retired for a while. I don't know about being professional anymore. We'll see. We'll you, see. You've been excessively p- professional in the past. Let's just say that. Um, Thank so you. Eric Matthews, um, who I first met on the. Uh, in the, I'm, get, I'm just gonna. I can't say on the set of the 300 job because I only went to set four times on that movie, so it must have been in the gym. It was at the it was at or, the stunt guys training gym in Burbank in in or Glendale or Glendale Glendale yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so the first time we met was on the occasion of that job and um your I mean you were basically doing all the behind the scenes coverage for yeah. that had done so for. Other movies, other movies before that. <laughs> I, I, I knew that. I was the only one I was familiar with was the Matrix. Matrix, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So any behind the scenes coverage for, um, for, for uh, I'm just going to say all of Zach's movies, but I don't know if it's all because the, everything yeah. but Dawn of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, nice, yeah. And of course, his, Which, his and there was no behind the scenes for that because no, yeah, yeah, <laughs> didn't do those. And uh, so we have been having a conversation about like fitness not only in the context of of you know the movie business but overall and and eric had been uh, a consistent attendee of the early morning sessions prior to everybody going to work because that would happen sometimes on different jobs sometimes those sessions turned out to be lunch sessions (laughs) um as the call time drifted into the afternoon (laughs) Uh, we should we could talk about that. That's <laughs> because because Fratter Day, and if you're familiar with that, you know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, so what? Uh, um, I, I guess you kind of got out of being in Bulgaria full time on the 300 sequel, and I want to know how that happened. <laughs> how were you that oh, much smarter right. than us? <laughs> Wait, I, I don't. I, hmm. I already know the answer to that, but you know, I don't remember why I wasn't there full time. It might have been a budget thing. It could have been a self-preservation thing. I'm sure that that had something to do with it too. Well, it got to a point. I mean, for me, it did get to a point on all the projects where I had to 
have time on and time off because it was yeah. it was just it was damaging my my real life like my relationships and my marriage and so I had to go to you know two weeks like, two weeks in three weeks in and then go back for two weeks and really when we were in countries where I wasn't allowed to pick up a camera for union rules or whatever there was not a lot of reason for me to be there other than everybody else's kind of enjoyment of my presence and my enjoyment of being part of the circus. But also your ability to direct the people who could legally pick up the camera and do the job that normally would be something that you would do. That's true. Yes. Um, Because some of those people definitely needed some um, shepherding, let's say. (laughs) Um, Okay, so now we've got the bona fides established in terms of like big-ass movie stuff, but that to me is not nearly as interesting as November 2014. I am in London to like get somebody ready to do something and you tell me there's a Glenn Friedman exhibition. So Kelly Dessington, Kelly crushes, uh, happened to be in town uh, in London also. And we went to that exhibition and lo and behold, I sit down and watch this little sort of seven or eight minute thing in one of the rooms where Glenn Friedman and Ian McKay are sitting there going through old pictures <laughs> that Glenn had shot back in the day of all of the, I mean, every, basically every, you were going through the things that were on the walls. Yeah. Uh, I mean, of, uh, you know, an, an excessively young iced tea of, you know, minor thread of run DMC. I mean, all the, the, that era incredible, which appeared to me to be quite connected by skateboarding. Um, uh, d- d- you know, different genres of music sort of connected by skate or whatever. And so I sit down, I watch this conversation that uh, you filmed of those two guys. And basically it was just you, camera A, camera B, and then sort of an over. Like yeah, three, cam- three, three cameras. cameras. It was Glenn and I went to, oh. to the original Discord house, to Ian's house yeah. in D.C. And um, it was for, Glenn had released a book called um, my rules, yeah. which was named after his first zine, and I think it's his fourth or f- fourth or fifth book. Um, and he wanted Ian to look at the photos, and we had talked about picking, I don't know, half a dozen photos for the two of them to look at and okay. talk about. And I knew, I fucking knew that we were going to go through the whole book. Yeah, of course, <laughs> and we did. So, <laughs> we, so you're not. I almost the, missed my flight home, but it was fine. <laughs> you're not running the cameras off batteries, is what you're saying? <laughs> no, I was. I oh, went okay. through. I went through every battery and every memory card I had with me on that day. Actually, wow. Yeah, I mean, but it was obviously it was worth it. You know, oh, it was totally no worth shit. It. And, and I mean, and, and honestly, like as as far as okay, if you were into music of that era and knew who those yeah. guys were and the guys that, that they were photographing and those were. And you were in that period of life where mu- you were very, very susceptible to music and how it shaped your worldview and that sort of thing. Like going, being able to um, look back at them looking back was a gift. Like I just can't uh, almost thank you enough for that. I mean, th- th- uh, that, that situation of like being there, foreign city, whatever. What do we, you know, what do you do? Someone that you know that I I really like and um and we got to go see that thing together and be in this isolated space just the two of us in that room and watching that little video and then walking around the whole exhibition in a beautiful art space and I just like okay Eric I'm not mad at you for that one interview that one time anymore that you put me on the spot and made me cry and anyway uh 
Yeah, that was a that was a <laughs> a, a beautiful thing to to see. So oh, thanks, thank you for that. And yeah, you're welcome. And you're now we're gonna have to talk about uh, some other things that I you know some other. Uh, I'm just gonna have to say, call them music videos. Yeah, I did a lot of those. Well, I was gonna say <laughs> a lot. You'll of have those. to forgive me because mm. although there's like some like obviously I know you from the the movie gig stuff. But that's not how I think of you. I think of you more uh, attached to the like weird indie skateboarding, bicycling music scene. Mm-hmm. Is that like I would hate to turn this into an actual interview, but <laughs> God forbid we, we, we actually we, do something proper. But how how did obviously your interest is in music and that stuff is connected? But how did you get your start in into what you do? I think everything for me came from skateboarding. Okay. So I was a, I was a, I was, I started skateboarding when I was really young. Mm-hmm. I was younger than most of the skaters that I hung out with. Um, one of those skaters was a guy named Stevie Dredd. Another one was a guy named uh, Johnny Machine, who now is, actually uses his real name, John Herndon. John plays in Tortoise and Isotope, a bunch of other bands. Um, we had become. Stevie was in a band that was a bunch of time-based artists at the Art Institute in Chicago that made videos that they would play during their live shows. Al Jorgensen saw these videos, asked them to make a music video for ministry. At the time, I had become a roadie for the band, and I had access to camera equipment. Mm -hmm. So I was like 16, 17 years old. How did you get access to camera equipment? I had... um, because that's fairly rare, unless it's like a Super 8 or like... I was taking a night class at Columbia College in film, mm. and I had access to Bolexes and Aeroflexes and nice. things like that through the through the equipment cage. So I took out the Airy and a couple of Bolexes, and those guys had Bolexes, and and we, you know, I worked with them to make Revolting Cox videos, Ministry videos. <laughs> we did the first two Nine Inch Nails videos. Oh, really? Like a lot of stuff like that, yeah. So at 17, I was already shooting professionally and working on these crazy music videos with That's those guys. Awesome. So, yeah. And that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't met Stevie and Johnny through skating. So, so and you were skateboarding at the time. So, obviously, uh, the culture around that is a lot of hang time and it's very musically influenced. That's kind of. Like I, I was in a different generation, but skateboarding heavily influenced like the music I listened to, the people that I... But it wasn't actually about skating for me. Like, I would try tricks and stuff. Was that similar to you? Like, you were there, you would do <laughs> some tricks and shit. But that was not my forte, so I kind of just latched on and called myself a quote-unquote skater. But is huh. that kind of... Yeah, I, mean, I, was fun. I was actually... I was, just, you know, I was in Chicago yesterday, and I was visiting with some old friends from that world and you know i i would say what i wouldn't have admitted then but i would admit now freely maybe i would have admitted it then i picked up the camera and took pictures of those guys and shot videos we made a lot of skateboard videos before we made music videos but that was my that's what i could contribute to the scene because i couldn't do the tricks and what like what was the time frame what was the era so it would have been Come on, dude. Like mid eighties. Repco ministry. Like well, yeah. Okay. Are we I talking mean, Halloween ministry or are we talking <laughs> New World Order ministry? So it was like eight so I started 
working with those guys probably in 89. Mm. Okay. So land of rape and honey? Like yeah. right in there, yeah. Saw that tour. So. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, Actually. it was cra- It was really crazy. <laughs> so I mean, so the whole, it was a crazy music time. videos, and then you kind of realized that you had maybe a talent for, and talent being a, a heavily opted word, but more or less a lot of time behind developing a skill of using a camera. And then that became applicable to other things. Yeah, I was already really into photography. I was already, my photos were already things that were getting sent around to, like I, I got published in Thrasher a couple of times. Yes. And, and I took pictures of these guys that were really good skaters that were, you know, my friends were turning pro for Alva and they were, they were touring. We were going around the Midwest and the rest of the country doing stuff. So, so I was taking pictures, then I was shooting video well, at the time, actually, we shot everything on film. We shot everything on 16, even the skateboard stuff, mm-hmm. all on film. wind-up camera. With the wind-up Bull yeah. X, yeah. <laughs> I got a Bull U at one point. I had an R16, so I actually had a battery. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to flip it. Uh, I used to load the film backwards and flip it upside down with a... Um, with a monopod attached to it and I would skate with that. Oh, holding the monopod like a modern day selfie stick. So that I, but no, but so that I could get the, I mean, no, you so get I the, low get the lens yeah. low and, I, and we yeah. would do like follow cam stuff hmm. with the 16. And yeah, so it was like, you know, the, it was all like, it's kind of jumbled the, the, the order of things that we're talking about it now, but all of that was what led to um, ultimately, I guess, to me being, in a gym with you and, <laughs> and was, all, was all this in Chicago then is that yeah we were based in Chicago and I was still living in Chicago but we were at by the time the music video group which was called H-Gun by the time H-Gun Labs really took off and was getting noticed by record companies we were going where you know we Iron Maiden we went to London Skid Row we went to actually Skid Row came to Chicago but then we went to LA for like Soundgarden and Megadeth whole time out here (laughs) Skid Row yeah yeah yeah. no 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 I I, so (laughs) did you shoot Youth Gone Wild or 18 to Live like which music? Wow, <laughs> because... we'd have to do. Some, I don't remember. We'd have to do okay. some looking up. Okay, I'll. Yeah, uh, I'll He's gone I'll wild. Is an excellent. I don't track. think it was either of those. Actually. Okay, I just remember well, that I, just... I was supposed to chase Sebastian with a steady cam, and his big burly security guard came up to me and said, "Sebastian doesn't run." <laughs> <laughs> his leather pants are too tight. <laughs> yeah, hence why in the. Very awesome Youth Gone Wild video at Wembley Stadium from 1990. He simply strides quickly across the stage rather than running. <laughs> That's what he did. He strode quickly. He strode quickly through like an an industrial wasteland. Okay. And one of our other guys was like on a motorcycle. I mean, this is early days of music video. Yeah. We did crazy, stupid stuff. I have a really good with idea. explosives and things like things that would not pass Union or OSHA. <laughs> or, or anything. Yeah, oh, or yeah. anything. I took my eye away from the camera a few times and thought, like on a Killing Joke video, I thought for sure that there were victims. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, when that thing blew up, for sure. <laughs> yeah. No one did the math on that explosion. No. No. No, because it's MTV. Because <laughs> it's, it's just like, hey, uh, we can't really pull a permit for this. So but, you guys are going to, you know, I, I'd recommend going out permit. at night. <laughs> permit. So, permits. Yeah. Per our yeah. last conversation, no to permits. stay away from explosive <laughs> stock. Oh, yeah. Uh, but. Yeah. 
I would like to say that it seems like all the fun shit is over. <laughs> like on that note, like it, it seems like jobs are really fucking boring now. Like there's just too many rules, and for no reason. Like we're healthier than we've ever been. We have less violent crime than there's ever been. There's less disease. There's better standards of living, and we're not allowed to blow shit up anymore. <laughs> right. It yeah, you'd have to hire sense. an expert to do it. We just got yeah. the like the friend of the art student yeah. that had access to black powder and gasoline and that seemed to work pretty well. So. Which on Sebastian's so let's just, style, let's I'm going to show let's up Let's just a, time out on the whole Homeland Department of Homeland yeah, Security yeah, yeah, yeah. topics. All right. Well, I'm going to... Yeah, like, I can't... We can't the the last 20 minutes of the last podcast we recorded, we cannot put out. I have to cut it. I'm trying to edit it right now. See if I, I can... I think we're past, I mean, any kind of legal implications. But still, we'll stay away from explosive talk. I was going to take a, a page out of Sebastian's book and just say, like, the next CrossFit gym I show up to and there's running I'm going to have like a big burly guy I'm like Michael doesn't run (laughs) (laughs) that's perfect (laughs) I'm going to just ask Keegan to follow me around and say Joe doesn't run except he (laughs) runs so what are you going to do about that no try to keep up that's right you said you'll you'll say yeah my uh, my squire He'll run in my place. <laughs> there you go. And don't don't mistake him for my steed. Yeah, exactly. That's a very different. I would like to see Joe video. ride around on on Keegan's shoulders at the next event. I think that needs to happen. Red Bull four hundred. That's oh. the, it's the only way Joe's ever going to finish is if uh, Keegan carries him. Keegan, he, Joe, do you think he can do the Red thrown. Bull four hundred? Oh yeah, I could do it. You think he could finish in the time cap? What's the time cap? I think it's well. There's two checkpoints. I think you have to make it to the first one by eight minutes, and then 15 minutes to the end. How hard could it be, Joe? Just say yes. It's in June. I'm just saying. I think I could do it. I'm not going to try that. Why not? Yeah. Fitness challenge of 2019 yeah. for Joe Holmes. Yeah. What well, What would That's it take? Hard now, you got a serious power to weight ratio, man. Yeah, you do. You're real small and light. Like you could fly up that thing. It doesn't make sense that I could beat you up that. I did it in seven minutes something. I, that doesn't make any sense, Joe. You should beat me up that. What would it take to get you to do it? I feel like there's like this weird I know, soft air and like doom is like. Joe's Linger. just like, uh, shit, I was going to help out with that symposium, but I guess I can't now. <laughs> it's a hard, fast rule now, Joe. If you want to help out with the symposium, you got to do the Red Bull 400. Uh. How bad could it be? Just don't, don't, it. I'm not going to say anything stupid like, I'll do it if you do it. That yeah. will never happen. Plus, I don't talk him into that kind of shit. Yeah. yeah. Not anymore. But you got to imagine, like, if Keegan can do it, and that's not to say that Keegan isn't able. He just weighs three times exactly what you do. It's an ambulatory thing. No, 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 no. Actually, Keegan's dropped. Keegan's got that whole revenge body thing going. Oh, yeah. So he's dropped. Hashtag revenge body. I don't know if you've seen lately. He's looking looking pretty lean. He's got abs. I I mean, I always knew he did. You can't look like Jesus, make a trip to the promised land. Mecca. Well, different Mecca. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Different Mecca. Yeah, different Mecca. I was going to say that. There's there's some, I, I think they're having a, some long-term more. sort of heated discussion about that. <laughs> uh, long-term <laughs> heated discussion about, well, yeah. But you can't go looking like Jesus yeah, to Jesus you, land yeah. without having Jesus abs. So he did good on himself. It's true. Go Keegan. Yeah. I don't so, know how he got tan in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, <laughs> but, you know, in the winter prior to heading over. but Tanny boost. Lots of tanning boost. Yeah. 
Yeah. If it's close enough to the Jersey Shore. Well, that was our way to get away from talking about bombs and blowing things up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And we did talk. We talked. We immediately we, we got said, into religious discussion in the Middle East. So exactly. Yeah, we obviously we know. don't know what we're doing. And and uh, <laughs> we did mention abs. So we've we've checked off the uh, talking about fitness, <laughs> fitness thing in this yeah. particular episode. So we're good. Let's get back to uh, <laughs> talking about cool shit. <laughs> um, do you remember which Killing Joke video it was? Just because I'm like. Like, totally fanboying out over here. Money is not our God. <laughs> oh, nice. We blew up a bunch of... Ca- oh, I'm not supposed to talk about this. Uh, no, you can, you can no, say what you video. did. Yeah, you yeah, just yeah, can't yeah, yeah. provide any how-tos. Okay. <laughs> that was the problem with the last 20 minutes of the last episode. There was a, there was a pile of cash registers that had been yeah. acquired somehow in an unpermitted alley mm-hmm. at an unspecified hour late at night. Yes. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And several different people had been given the responsibility of making sure that the um, cash registers blew up on schedule. Exactly. Yeah. So there was there was there was more than enough substance <laughs> poured upon and set under the cash registers, Jeez. and uh, I ended up about fifteen feet back from where I was starting from on my ass with the still filming, still film, of course, still holding the camera. Did that yeah. make the nice. cut? Or did you have to? Oh, yeah. It? Well, we only did it once. Oh, we yeah, didn't have any more cash like, registers. I, that was it. Because then I, we were out of jet fuel. Yeah. <laughs> we were done. Yeah. No, we did so that once. That's, yeah. um, so that song yeah. actually became the name of a new route that I climbed in the Himalayas with Mr. Ed Pope, um, <laughs> who in 10 days round trip from beautiful Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Flew over, met me in Kathmandu. We flew into the mountains, hiked like motherfuckers. Um, and uh, I, the day before, went up and kind of scouted the route. And then next day, we uh, it's on a, a very minor peak um, next to Kongmase. So it's like it's called Peak 5886 because it's how many meters high it is. And so, yeah, I think it's the east face of... Uh, peak 5886 is a route called money is not our god and so he climbed it had like Uh. like went as deep as there's actually a picture of him in refuge coming down from that day um and uh and and somehow got home in 10 days without getting you know too altitude sick i mean it was like one of the most amazing things i've actually ever seen but that album so it was 1990 so it was the year that that album came out and it was pretty much on a loop that and the uh the fields of the nephilim live album that came out revelations wow. at that same time so way nice. back machine <laughs> reference <Crazy> but connection <laughs> i mean not really a connection it's just no a but side, it is but it's I kind mean, of it's, funny yeah and I, I i uh i mean i i never knew like the depth of all the sort of times that we've worked together and stuff and talked around it and been in the gym or you know uh whatever I, I i had no idea the depth of that background for you like i somehow imagined you sprung fully formed like my, my sort of like <laughs> sort of oral history or whatever it is it was starts out with you know basically that that, that interview and the you know I, I still have the transcript of that original interview for 300 hmm which somebody did. I mean, um, and then, so, I, but I, I just imagine like, oh, he just, he, 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 you know, year zero was basically the matrix. And that's where I thought it started. And then like little by little by little. And then obviously after the end of, I mean, obviously to you and me and 
any and and my, I guess everybody in the room has seen it. Um, at the end of Justice League, I end up with this amazing gift organ. You know, I want to say organized by you <laughs> um, of a beautiful Glenn Friedman oh, print. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I look at every morning when I'm drinking coffee. I mean, oh, it's just awesome. like th- so. That is on a wall in my place. It's a, it's a corner, so that's on one wall. And the facing wall is the um, the proof of concept art for uh, the um, it's a new model army record wine and blood no uh, something a bit, it, anyway Jules Denby did it somehow Lisa got a hold of it this piece so those two are side by side on a Oh, that's on cool. a wall I'm just like okay these things there's like yeah they band in front of the discord house which is I don't know if you if, if Glenn had that print lit, sitting around or if he actually convinced him to go in the dark room and make that print I don't know how that happened but it is an amazing it's interesting you bring of, that up because when I was over at the laundromat today aka your oh, yes. apartment <laughs> right I, I, I walked over to that corner and looked at that exactly you know because I, I look at the the pieces you have and and I was like, uh, yeah, this one. Yeah. Yeah, so the art next to it is for the the uh, Between Dog and Wolf uh, album cover. And that was her, like, initial sort of piece. And hmm. and she had also actually, and something that, um, and Lisa was going back and forth with her, bought some art. So she actually, we sent a photo to her and commissioned a, a, an oil painting of Echo that Lisa still has. And that, that thing was amazing. I'm just like, oh, my God. I mean, obviously, I mean, Jules is an incredible illustrator, has done every album cover for new model army since the beginning um and she's a, a tattoo artist and um, and a fine artist and like to yeah, have one of those pieces pretty cool and then have a piece of glenn friedman's work is pretty fucking cool and uh, i was glad we were able to get that for you that was cool it was yeah. fun to do yeah he had a yeah. few we there, it, it was he had some prints already he was going to go do a, he he would have printed whatever we asked him to print oh, okay um but I, f- I kind of fortunately that was there and it seemed like the right one. And oh, it was absolutely so, the right one. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, I mean, it's a museum, it's a print from one of the shows. So it's a yeah. museum quality. Um, yeah. you know, I've known Glenn a long time. Um, I guess I've, we've, I've known you guys a long time too. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess, <laughs> but, I, 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 but what I was, long, you know, longer, I think one I mean, of the things that's been a real, treat and privilege of what I've done over the years and through all of it is that I've gotten to meet the people that had some influence on me prior to meeting them and then have continued to have an even greater influence on me in friendship. So that's certainly true about my relationship with you and you know and also holds true with with glenn glenn was someone who you know was this bigger than life figure in music he shot all these album covers he shot all the the seminal skateboard stuff and seemingly just like in a very casual way like almost he was too gifted for the like i because i i and my way around the camera and I know my way I knew my way around cameras in that time and to see those skateboard pictures and to see these things and to and to realize like 
and sometimes you know if he will post a picture on social media it'll make it just you know it'll be a little description about how it got shot and i'm just like fucking two frames are you serious oh yeah like that's and 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 now you compare that level of ability talent vision all of it combined and timing um and the ability to see what's about to happen because you don't get that shot of jay adams without that's knowing right. what's without being able to see what's about to happen and being ready yeah, when it does understanding it and understanding it yeah. so not only understanding the activity but understanding human movement and human behavior on a, on a level that most people are unable to see and then to and then to do that now yeah i got a some this camera that camera it's, it shoots 60 frames a second which is basically shooting video so i can you know I just pull the one that's good out of the middle of it or whatever. But right. back then, I think two frames, three frames for a shoot, whatever. You're like, dude, that is a level of talent that people have no fucking understanding of today. And it, to me, that I, I consider him, it's, you know, uh, I'll just, I'll, I'm not going full on photographic. I'll go demigod terms of photography it's interesting because there's like there's kind of nothing <laughs> casual about him I, 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 would, I wouldn't think so <laughs> but I, I mean i know that I, I would i should have put air quotes around that yeah that word, no i knew but, what you but, meant but sort of a loose un unchoreographed style i don't know how but but sort of being able to be in that moment and to capture it with style yeah um amazing no and, and hugely influential on 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 not just uh, you and me but hundreds of people thousands of people thousands see people. that work and 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 whether they know it's his work or not there's something to those whether you whether you're looking at a public enemy album cover or whether you're looking at a photo of jay adams um, or whether you're looking at some of the stuff that he's done more recently that's just portraits of people you know he doesn't yeah. shoot as much anymore because he feels it's weird to be talking for someone else, but I feel like I at least say that, you know, I think Glenn's interest is sharing with the the viewer something that he's really passionate about. Yeah. And he wants you to have that experience too, to, to, to get it. And I think more than that, wants it to have some meaning. You know, there's the the whole DIY ethos of I think all of those, whether they're skaters or hip hop people or punk rock people, all those people are kind of coming from a similar place. Yeah. So yeah, and I mean, he's friends with all of them. It's like there's very few of those photos that aren't someone that he's got a connection with and still has a connection with to this day, which is kind of crazy. It's it's cool, and and I mean, and and like going to the sort of the DIY thing or explaining like it, the, the breakdowns of some of these different how some of these portraits are made um there's a guy in the climbing community lives in yosemite and he's been producing this stone nudes calendar for uh, you know some years um dean feidelman and and he's uh it's 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 a guy i don't know we know of each other i know his work he knows my work um but recently on uh and, and i and recently he's, he's popped up a couple of times because um like he, he posted something the other day uh where uh, Renan um, Osterk gave him uh, a digital. He's only ever shot on film. He's mm -hmm. he uh, he he said the other day, yeah, one of my one of these film cameras, like one of the first cameras that ever was given to me, was Charles Cole, the guy who started Five Ten, and uh, gave him this camera, and, and uh, um, he started using that, and now he's he was gifted um, somehow, maybe willed, I don't know, but Al Al Stack's original contacts. I mean, this fucking beautiful camera that that guy, you know. 
carried on all these great roots in, in Yosemite, all over North America and the world. Um, and so Renan has just given him this, this digital camera. <laughs> and maybe thinking the old dog might have a, like, I can't remember exactly how he posted it, but it's, but it's hilarious. It's like, now he's got to go out and like, okay, it's a whole new world. I've got this <laughs> thing. And, and so we had this very brief exchange about like, one of the coolest things you can do is give someone a camera and watch what happens. <laughs> and it's, I mean, especially if you know that that person is like needs it or it, it fits in. It's like the whole, the, you know, my personal story with Ben Staley, but then that came back around and this guy, Dave Knight, who, you know, I ended up with a six by seven medium format, Plowbell Machina gifted out of the blue because somebody knew somebody right. who knew something, you know, who knew me right. that, and it, you know, and, and it's just been this thing. I think it's almost like a, um, it's both a gift and a curse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I give you this camera and uh don't let me down. But you're making you, me realize too that, you know, I said everything started with skateboarding, but really you know, my father was an amateur photographer, okay. Um and a radiologist. So he approached photography in this like super like technical? Im- yeah, and you know, like bracketed everything and took meticulous notes and stuff and he saw that I was kind of interested in it. So at a very young age, he gave me a camera to play with. But I always saw the camera as an opportunity to document stuff. That's really how I got into being, to me, all of this, like the skateboard stuff, the music stuff, led to me working in documentary. And even what I tried to do with the behind-the-scenes stuff was to not just make it, like, I knew I needed Fluffy. to satisfy the advertising and marketing campaign yeah. of the movie, but we tried to make real documentaries. You know, we made films about vigilantes on Watchmen. We made films, you know, when I met Zach, I like, I came in and had read Herodotus cause I thought that's what I was supposed to do. So <laughs> you know, like, like I didn't know the comic book and I got to the back of the comic and there's like three, you know, there's gates of, was it gates of fire and yeah. some, and so I read that and that was pretty easy. And then, you know, was, the next book was like, one, yeah, like Herodotus, less easy. Was yeah, I read, I read, <laughs> or, uh, I read, and then I read like Kapuscinski's Walking with Herodotus and a couple okay. other things. But anyway, I to me, documentary came from that gift of being handed a camera and just allowed to play with it. And I drive my father crazy to this day because he'll see a photo that I took and want to know, and I don't remember. Yeah. Like, I guess at least now, cause it's digital, I can I go to the metadata and tell him, but you know, like <laughs> I could I never, like yeah. as a kid, I could never, I'd be like, I don't know. I think I recently tossed out one of those notebooks, but there was a period sort of like 96 to 98 or 99 that I was, you know, shooting, mm. I was earning my living shooting. And so I, do, I, I document, and I was always testing film, different filters, cross-processing all this shit. And, and so I had these meticulous notes and I found this notebook and like, it was a, there's a bag of fucking Nikons that like, uh, somebody take this. Like, I don't know what to do with it, but wait, let me get my model releases just in case like 30 years from now, somebody has a <laughs> something, um, that were in this bag, but then also this notebook. And I was shocked at how meticulous I was at that time. Cause I was trying to learn. Cause now I just look at, you know, either it's metadata or, or if it comes, you know, if it's a film, it's like, well, this doesn't surprise me at all. So there's somewhere there's a notebook full of analog metadata. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this shocks Fuck. nobody. If I was still buying URLs, I would buy analog metadata right now, <laughs> dot com right now. 
We <laughs> can't afford to anymore. No. <laughs> just, just, they get you on the renewals, man. Yeah. It's like everything. First one's <laughs> kind of not free, but close to free. C- close enough. Yeah. You don't look at the down the line charges, but exactly that, that, that is kind of a, there are styles here that, I mean, maybe it is a father son thing too, because my, my dad is a fastidious note taker <laughs> about every little detail. I mean, cause he builds, can know, I just compliment you on the use, the appropriate uh, use of the term fastidious? Sure. Yeah. yeah that's that different. Awesome. <laughs> it rolled off your tongue really nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Really well, yeah. because it describes my dad to a T. Yeah, so maybe say. I've practiced too much, but he was, I, I mean, he was building, you know, his own composite boats and land yachts. And so he would have like chart data for sail shapes and different, I, I mean, ge- geometry and sewing all in one notebook because those went together and different like m- mylar consistency. So when you describe it and you're like, no, I was just taking I did the same thing you did. I just went like, I'm not fucking taking notes. I just like if it visually appeals to me, then I'll do it. So when I started shooting, I knew nothing about and I was in a dark room, like actually um shooting on film and developing it but it was just like what this chemical splash splash and how long two seconds or three seconds and yeah that looks fine but i never noted any of it and i think it's like i was just in opposition to that fucking notepad that sat around my dad's desk that i was just huh. like i'm not doing that or you know maybe i should but i don't want to be that because <laughs> i'm actively rebelling yeah yeah yeah. and for no good reason the note-taking is obviously and maybe subconsciously rebelling too well now i'm jealous because now i think man it's really cool when you have like a notebook full of actual information that's was useful or it got you from point a to point b and i have like nine notebooks and they're all a quarter filled because I forget to bring them, so I buy a new notebook. So, and they have none of the same information. In them, I have the, no idea what you're talking about because I'm in this building with three notebooks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, I was looking at Eric's lovely. Oh, it's notebook. it's like yeah. it's pro as fuck. I yeah. mean, oh, especially with the beaker of whiskey on top of it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, there's an Instagram ad with a Leica yeah, camera, a beaker of whiskey. You you are a man. Exactly. Like that is a man picture right there, but. There's a there's a box in the garage with you know probably twenty years of these different nice. sized moleskins full, and I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do with them. I had this idea that when I turned fifty, I was going to just burn them all, and that seemed really <laughs> let's do it. Let's go to Burning Man and, and do that. Really bad idea. So oh, wait, no, we could have our own festival, Burning Notebooks. Burning. <laughs> I, I like, think that turns. Hey, would you like? I to- think that that was like some kind of tradition during some kind of uprising that turned into a yeah. I was just, we were talking the other night, like, when's your Fahrenheit 451 moment going to happen? I I think, like, I think it's admirable now. Because especially if you can go back and look at some of the ridiculous shit that you wrote. It's not all good, I'm sure, but it's probably all entertaining. And some of it might be really useful. That there's there's an art to taking notes, and I'm terrible at it. So maybe I look at it like I'm kind of envious of people who can actually do it correctly. My notes are illegible, scattered, inconsistent. I'd never go back and use them for anything. <laughs> the going working... back and using them part is the important part that I That's think the that thing. Yeah. <laughs> nobody actually like follows through with that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's when I, when I go back to my mom's house, when I was back there, I found a box of all my old, old handwritten training journals <laughs> and I just started leafing through them and, and <laughs> the, 
my first thought was, oh, no wonder I was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Do you know, I do have one consistent trait. When I first started, like, I'm going to take training seriously. I tracked, like, meticulously metrics that didn't obviously matter. Like what time of day I train. <laughs> but I did go back and look at some of those and I was like, oh yeah. Well, no it's wonder. entertaining. Yeah, no wonder I was not that fit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's the, it's the follow through on the notes. Right? Like you take notes, what are you going to do with them? Are you actually going to follow through with them or put them in a box somewhere? Well, sometimes I feel like I take notes there's two oper- there's two occasions, right? Like in a meeting, I, I'm taking notes, and sometimes I wonder if I'm just doing it so that I'm sort of filling the time. There's or, part of it that I don't want to forget something, or I want to if it's, if I have a job to do, I want to make sure I'm doing it. But I also get up every day and make lists, and and I realize that like now I'm not really working. I'm making lists about things that I don't, yeah. I don't need to do it. I, I'm. Know? I'm a note taker too, especially when it comes to like, you know, phone conversations, meetings, anything, because I have a horrible memory. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a note guy. Someone that I've been working with lately who I really, I have a ton of respect for is a, um, an architect named Michael Rotundi. And Michael is, um, he founded uh, SciArc in LA, the School of Architecture. And uh, he's very quiet and he sits in these meetings and you kind of think he's nodding off or just doodling in his notebook. And it'll be one of those inane meetings where no one's really resolved anything because there was no agenda, but they'll end the meeting and he'll suddenly go, oh, wait a minute and have something really brilliant to add. And I was asking him like, what are you writing? What are your notes? And he said, probably when you take notes, you, you, write down what you think you heard. He said, what I try to do is I try to write down what I think I heard made me feel. Hmm. There was something a couple I was going to close the pipe. Oh, yeah. I was just going to like shut the podcast off with that. So that might be related to... Wow. (laughs) People that doodle while they listen can retain like a much larger percentage of the information that they're listening to. Some some act of just ran like I remember my mom used to like draw grapes like those little she would just draw circles and make little grapevines while she took like mental notes and she has an excellent retention of information huh. and then like I just I'm terrible like all my pictures look stupid so I didn't want to do it so you just see a bunch of odd shapes but I have gotten into the habit like of just drawing a line while I'm listening until it starts to break the paper and then going to the next and trying to break the paper with the, like going back and forth until it breaks the paper. I don't know what it fucking does for me, but it it sounds a (laughs) lot like that. Like maybe if I'm just getting aggravated, I break it faster. Yeah. (laughs) Start scratching into the paper. You're just taking note of how long it takes to break through based on your emotional connection to the conversation that's been going on well i mean taking notes is something that you do intentionally right but you can do something intentionally without having a purpose yeah and that's not that's most note takers i think and it's not a good use of intention Mm. right if it's just intention for the sake of intention it's Uh, yeah i feel a rabbit hole (laughs) lurking well Well, i was just maybe i I was first thinking don't let me down just went off on notebooks for like yeah. but i maybe that's an actual like a deep seated sub um 
because what are you trying like the the note subject is interesting we all take notes somehow like somewhere either it's a mental note or it's written yeah. or it's now it's in your iphone or whatever and they all have it it's kind of how we talked about reading mediums and we've talked about this yeah. on the show before like if i'm reading a an ipad that's different the, there's a certain genre of book that i can handle that or if i'm li- listening to an audiobook there's a, also a genre like david sedaris i will always listen to an audiobook because i want to hear his voice inflected in it like he makes his book if you hear him talk and then you can read his books, you can hear his voice. And so you kind of, his lisp, everything goes into it. That's one one way to do it. And then there's like, like you said, like I have to buy this heavy thing to carry around with me and scratch in. And maybe that's the purpose of it all. The, the note taking is the same thing. And maybe if you mm. go back and reflect on the boxes of notes you have, you might find something that ridiculous that... I wasn't taking these notes because the words were important, but I was taking them at a time where I needed to feel a certain way about something. <laughs> Be actually, I mean, I just opened my notebook and I'm like, fuck, I actually take pretty good notes. <laughs> I was actually impressed. There was something here. I just realized like, Oh, remember the, the, the podcast we were talking about that, uh, we wanted to know who was present oh, for yeah. the expertise without experience mm. that we may or may not have published somewhere. I don't, I don't <laughs> actually remember that. Um, but the quote from that day was, it's a burn up, not a warm up. And the present for that particular podcast were Joe, Sean, Ross, uh, Michael, and myself. Hmm. That happened on June 3rd, 2018. And we never released it? I don't know if we have or not. I, I know it's still sitting in the episodes folder, and I, and it's been edited. Hmm. And it's either... Maybe we should just like send, stay, send it. Stay tuned, folks. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Maybe it we was, should listen to it first. There's probably a reason we didn't. Send it. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, it's voice of reason it's, over here. It's because uh, that was during it was uh, two, training. Uh, it was during training camp, so there'd be like yeah, too okay. many bike oh. episodes in a row. I think it was like the last oh, one. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, there could never be too many bike episodes because so that happened on June third. <laughs> then on June seventh was the uh, eat a dick episode. <laughs> Then, is, wow, I so, wish I could have been here for that one. Oh, my God. <laughs> not. Yeah. Um, anyway, and then finally on June 15th, we, we came back with the voice of reason when Berkey was here and posed the question, how far could you go if you didn't use hyperbole? Ooh, wow. That's a rabbit hole that I like. Yeah. <laughs> that's really good. That's good. <laughs> how language affects... Uh, quote, performance, unquote. <laughs> and, hmm. and I'm not talking about sport performance. I'm talking about making shit up for the camera. Mm. Right. Or your Instagram feed. Theatrics. Or, theatrics. Or man bands. Ex- Sorry. Man bands, as opposed to boy bands. Yeah. Are you referring to a certain individual who appears to have started a man band because he's too old to have a boy band? Exactly. Man, I hope he's the front man and not the drummer because, well, what else could he be? <laughs> <I'm>, Haters. <laughs> They're going to hate. I was just, I'm kind of, I'm looking at my notes and they don't make much sense to me. Well, they do. They make total sense. But it's a, it's a mixture of like to buy items mixed with like epiphanies of philosophical nature. Like I have like... <laughs> 
This so is, you're the consumer philosopher so, everyone's been trying to find. Seriously. <laughs> Kitchen, bathroom, trash bags, medium tall, large black, large metal trash can, two medium plastic, dish rack, drawing, towels, two pairs of black utensils, pants, three yeah. black t-shirts. So and then like, over here in the corner I have tries a willingness to not do something. <laughs> <laughs> you tried to go to Costco but failed. Yeah, small shelving for audio player, extension cords. Playing increases your odds, effort increases your skills. <laughs> what the fuck? This is useless. Like, <laughs> As he tosses it back I, in the corner. Because I, I obviously <laughs> didn't take it to the fucking store. Like I Because <laughs> stays I, here. Because we still don't have any tall black trash bags. Maybe you took a picture of it on your iPhone. By the way. Your to-do list. That doesn't um, sound like me. <laughs> we're almost out of paper towels. Oh, they're in the car. I, I got them. Because okay. I... Wrote a note to actually because you had them on your list. <laughs> There's a post it on your steering wheel. <laughs> Paper towels. PT. During our high season of shipping over the past week, there's post it <laughs> notes everywhere with various numbers on them. <laughs> the best was the pile in the corner. Yeah. They were like stuck in a very organized manner. Right. At least they weren't color coded. That would be sad. Like, it was a fail safe mechanism. It was <laughs> yeah. We were what was it? The Department of Redundancy? De, no, the Department of Redundancy Department. Yeah, is what that was. Oh uh, yeah. It's not unfamiliar. You to gotta have backup. Someone. You gotta have a backup anchor, man. I I think that is good enough to make a T-shirt. I feel. What's the that? Department of Redundancy <laughs> Department? Yeah. What kind of, uh, what, what sort of font do you think we should use for that? <laughs> Whatever font they, you know, in the old, you know, if you go to like a uniform company and they can sell you the whole uniform and you can get your name tag put on it. So it's like a button up, like Dickies oh, kind like of a deal. Oh, not a bowling shirt. Not quite. More like, like a, a uniform. boiler suit? Yeah. yeah like it, it would be coveralls, but they yeah. have just the shirts. So oh, yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. that weird, like dark, blue that every mechanic wears i think we should do a shirt like that that has our name on it in that same ridiculous like patch and then on the back it's the department, department of redundancy. redundancy department actually i was i was kind of psyched because when we were at paragon those guys all had i mean every all the press men had like these kind of burgundy uniforms with their name on it yeah and uh i was just like andy Andy, if you listen to the podcast, I need one of those shirts. Need me, a, need me a Paragon Press shirt with my name right there, as if I. That might helped. scare them a little bit. They're like walking for a wait, press is check. He, is he coming back? Is he, is he coming to work? Is he the boss does, now? Are you fucking kidding? Me? Does Am I getting another guy? text message from him again? Does that mean he has access to the building? <laughs> Shit, and he can peer over with oh Joe's pointing it's like oh please please give me bottle refill my graduated cylinder nice <laughs> how many milliliters are you uh, gonna throw down into there 40 point one. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, the details the details of the decimal point uh, poor 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 Aaron <laughs> now you gotta go with it we just set that up oh right slow pitch hit my, it my my text from Erin right before she came here. And I have no idea what she's talking about, which is even better. Which is even better. What sort of chemical? Mystery is? substance. What's, is there a difference? 
Wait, I got to get it right because I think it's important. Don't misquote it because it won't nearly be as... Is there a big difference between 0.1 milliliter and 1 milliliter? Yes. <laughs> Significantly. Exactly 10 yep. times. Exactly. Was <laughs> which my is, reply. Which is cool. My favorite is I didn't, you know. I didn't ask anything past that and then she just sent me a picture of her quote unquote little sister peering bird watching. Okay. Yeah. So... So now we're passing around phones because we've run out of shit to talk That's, about. I like in the room. Yeah. Now we got to like bring shit in from outside. Sure. What the fuck, you guys? <laughs> well, it is kind of. I mean, oh, is it relevant? It is related. Yeah, it's related. It's related. <laughs> okay. I won't read this. Wait, can we? I turned my phone off when we started. By uh, the way, so Just someone sign. saw a picture of a guy. I'm guessing at the Oscars. Oh no, NFL draft. He has That's a crop. Ezekiel Elliott. Okay, so he has a he and has a crop top. Oh, okay. It is for Aaron. Yeah. So Aaron what, gave Joe one of her tank tops, and he put it on, and then they took a picture of it, and now there's a picture of this guy in a crop top. <laughs> I think I started a trend. I think okay. I have better abs. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's got a better bank account. Well, yeah. <laughs> for sure. I mean, he's wearing a... What would that be called? Uh, one year's a, salary on his on his uh, on his uh, ring finger. A bear midriff tuxedo. <laughs> yeah. Yes. A bear midriff tuxedo. Never before graced the, the surface of the earth until just now. So, rock on. <sighs> I I couldn't do it. I got nothing for that. Yeah. Until I, I get my DNR tattoo on my stomach. <laughs> then I like, can be wearing a crop top. <laughs> Be good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are you gonna get it in old English though? Oh, across the like a no, belly rocker. It's a belly rocker for sure, with yeah. like that gothic text. We always whatever. thought when we yeah. finally went in. To Is that your flourishes. favorite band? Yep. <laughs> when we finally went in to get snipped, we were gonna get end of a legacy tattoos on our belly. <laughs> Nice. Wait, that that implies that you've started a legacy. Is there something I don't know? <laughs> the name. It's just that oh. it's the you know, I'm not procreating. The celebration in you're, old E. You're recreating. I'm recreating. <laughs> Fuck. I'll adopt. Not to not to be confused with fitness. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's do we bring need? It back. I was gonna say let's bring it back. I was gonna say we could pause and watch a video. No. And then come back? No, we've seen no. the videos. No, this would be a different one. <laughs> oh, this would be an entirely okay. different one. Oh. This would be the... Joe's like, but, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so no name. So, um, I don't know. I think we should watch one of those old fucking music videos. Oh, like I, the oh, Killing Joe's one? Videos. Wow. That would be crazy. I can tell but, you a good story about back then uh, that involves I, the FBI. We spiraled about notebooks for like 25 minutes and you have a good story that involves the FBI about a music video that you shot. <laughs> Nine Inch Nails video. What the yeah. fuck are we doing? We're terrible interviewers. Go ahead. Tell <laughs> but it's not an interview. No, you guys are great. This we, is the whole, this it, is the podcast. It, it is actually, it's, it's kind of a funny thing because somebody mentioned like, ah, I really dug the, uh, you know, second version or, you know, of uh, Paul, the Crimson Bashar's second visit, et cetera. <laughs> but I really feel like both Paul and Ross had something to say, but you and Michael kept cutting them off. Uh, just my perception. Oh, that really? Yeah. Yeah. Did we cut them off? I, I see. I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, we are rude and we do cut people off, but 
I'm waiting for you to stop talking again so I can interrupt you. <laughs> oh, well, I was going to say, I was almost falling asleep, so I don't think that was me. <laughs> See, I, I, ex- exactly. And so I was kind of like feeling bad and thought I should revisit it. And then I just thought, well, it's done, it's done. I mean, it's your podcast. You do what you want to do. Well, so well, most people, this is a thing. No, oh, this, no this, is, this is something I took into consideration because one of the, the no, like, there's some there's some like waxing and then there's some assholes that just want to be assholes and then there's some people that are legitimately like I tried listening but it got really annoying when you guys did X and one of those things was legitimately like um, you interrupted some guy who's about to say something and then he went off on some half-assed joke <laughs> what I don't think people realize is that most discussions we've been having we've we've been talking to people for like four to eight hours before we start recording yeah. so there's like there's this mm, thing, this mm. this rhythm going where we know we'll get back to it, or you know what? There, there's, it's just a different conversation than what people hear, and we have to be more careful of that. Why? Because, I mean, I'm just uh, no, uh, it's a relevant like, question. I'm, hey, I'm, you're all consuming our shit for you know for nothing. <laughs> there yeah. you go. We're gonna do exactly what we fucking want. And but I invested by pressing play I, I i highly recommend you play every i mean if you're if you're super invested you'll play everything at half speed so it takes longer in the experience you just extend that oh we can announce that on this one. Oh yeah oh let's do it do you want to do it i'll do it okay um <laughs> but because we're Tangent, talking about the same eric episode. was about to tell we just totally cut him off he's like i got this great story about so a music we're doing video. it again but no i'm doing it on purpose oh, i never now. had any intention of telling the story i was just gonna set it up <laughs> <laughs> the, well, oh this man half the reason Fish why i'm still is going, on the yeah. hook yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna make it a a, a a really a good attempt to come back to that okay try to reveal but for for those listening because should i just it, like put write the word right fbi on the whiteboard up there <laughs> so i remember just so we come back like that would be in my notes it'd be like yeah. why did i fucking write fbi <laughs> the, <laughs> so uh we got a a text message from a friend of the podcast, Chris Warden, who I'd, say, I'd, I'd almost, I'm about to say that, well, it's not, it hasn't happened yet, but I'm say a sponsor of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even just, personally. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> well, all, yeah. it was a very cryptic message to both me and Mark. And it said on the last episode, referring to the Paul Becker version two episode, 27 minutes, 27 minutes for two minutes. Listen at half speed. You're welcome. It's amazing. It really, and I don't want to ruin I, it for everybody. Uh, having just, heard it, I would say yes, it is. Yeah, it, it's yeah. fucking unbelievable. How I don't know how he found it, how that turned out, how I actually no, sound it, that. He told me afterwards. Yeah. I was like, "How the fuck did you figure that out? Like, do you listen to all of our podcasts at half speed? Because like, <laughs> I you want to enjoy a, the moment. You want a three three hour <laughs> podcast to last five and a half hours because you got a long drive, or what the fuck? You don't want to listen to somebody else or something. Well, if you're taking meticulous notes, it's better at half speed. <laughs> Boom. While driving with your knees, because like, <laughs> that's what he's doing. So he said, no, 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 I listened to it at one and a half times, uh, like at one and a half speed, 1.5x, yeah. so I can get through a three-hour podcast faster. I'm like, wow, we must sound like squirrels, but whatever. Um, and That's and, it two times. Oh, is it? Yeah. That's when that happens? Yeah. Okay, at 2x, you sound like a squirrel. Yeah. Fucking off. Chipmunk speed. Yeah. 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 So he said, so I was listening at 1.5x, but the topic was 
kind of interesting to me. So I realized, like, fuck, I got to slow this down and play it at normal speed. But he's driving. So he's, like, hitting the button on the phone, hitting the button on the phone, whatever. And ends up and, and he goes, goes, you know, 1.5x, 2x, normal speed or whatever. He get, somehow lands on half speed accidentally. And then everything slowed down and it sounded, uh, well, slower. So episode 58? 58. 58. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's Paul Becker V.2, a.k.a. the Crimson Bashar. Um, just and at 27 minutes, that. turn it on half speed and uh, let us know what you think. So, <laughs> to all those people that hate us for interrupting people, Eric, go ahead and tell your story. We want to know more about, uh, yeah, something. Everything. All of it. Because well, you, wanna, you, you had asked about the music video time, and, and there were, you know, there's a lot of crazy adventure in that time. But one thing that happened <laughs> adventure. was we, um, we bought a, a bunch of cheap wind-up Bell & Howell Super 8 cameras. And there used to be a place in the Chicagoland area called Edmund Scientific, where you could buy weather balloons, among other things, <gasps> and helium tanks. Oh, my God. So we, we used to have a full-page ad in the back of Popular Mechanics. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Edmund Scientific was kind of amazing and where we actually we got a lot of props and stuff for shoots and things from them. Um, but we were doing a Nine Inch Nails video, and they, the directors wanted to get a crane shot. But of course, we didn't have crane, and we didn't have a budget for a crane. So we were going to rig the, um, the wind-up Super 8 cameras to the weather balloon and send it up. And the shot is Trent uh, laying on the ground with like uh, sort of like a wheat paste concoction on his face. And we were shooting like high con black and white. So it was going to look pretty cool. And then, of course, processed even more yeah. later. Um, in so, Lightroom, right? <laughs> in what? <laughs> Those guys used to burn all the effects to a glass plate. So someone would stay up all night and w make sure that the computer was writing to the plate. And then we'd go into the edit room the next day. That guy would pass out and go to sleep or whatever. No yeah. H-Gun was pretty ahead of it and doing a lot of weird experimental film stuff. But So one of our weird experimental practical things was this balloon rig. And um, so Trent's laying there. The balloon goes up. We're between buildings. Uh, kind of in, in what is now known as the sort of like the Wicker Park Bucktown neighborhood of Chicago at the time was not a very good neighborhood. Uh, so the, so the, the, uh, the weather balloon was not tethered with some monofilament so you could get it back. It was oh, no, no, it like, was all tethered. Okay. We had it all, we had it all rigged okay. and, and, just, and there were a few of us a, that thought a about these things. Balloon a with bit. a camera landing somewhere. But that's what happens oh. because <laughs> the, the tether, um, the safety tether, gets sheared on the edge of a, on the sort of the parapet of a building and that balloon and that camera go away. But we have more balloons and more cameras. So we finish shooting and we do the thing months later. Uh, I get called into the head of the film department at Columbia where I was still a student and where I was also working as a teaching aide, And and you can, this is actually, it's, you can find this online because it was 
it became an episode of a TV show called A Current Affair. Okay. Oh, shit. So the weather balloon and the camera go across Lake Michigan. They land in a farmer's field. The farmer takes the film to the local sheriff. The local sheriff, after a, a period of time, finally gets the film processed and looks at it. And it's, of course, it's silent. Yeah. And, and it looks like there's a dead guy laying there. Yeah. So he thinks it's a snuff film. Oh so God. he calls the FBI and sends the film to the FBI. So they do, I don't know how many hundreds of hours of investigation <laughs> yeah. to figure this out. And they call all the local film schools because they're not, I mean, the FBI has made plenty of mistakes, but I think they were smart enough to figure out there's probably a student film. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, you know, so I get asked like, hey, you work with those H-gun guys and this seems like some kind of weird business you might've gotten up to. Do you know anything about this? And Did they show you the no, footage? I never, I've never seen it. And so okay, I, I just want to know like, if, I, if you got the shot, I, like, think, I don't give a fuck about the rest of it. Man. I think, well, it's I mean, we got the, the shots. Clearly in the, we got the shot with the second take the shots in the video. Oh, okay. So, but so, and clearly you got the shot with the first one because he was in the frame. When, yeah. And I don't know like if we guy. ever were given okay. back that film after the investigation, okay. but, but anyway, it turned into this whole crazy thing. So that's it. Oh, <laughs> so when they said, "Is this something that you're familiar with?" did you uh, did you say yes? Yeah, we snuffed that guy. <laughs> like, what was like? Well, you didn't think of taking the FBI on kind of a ride. I don't. I was not in a position to really like. I just got in touch with the executive producer and told him what you know what yeah. I and everybody. It was quickly out of my hands. Okay, thankfully, because I probably would have been a lot more of a smartass about it. But. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know. What That's video what, was that for? That was for, we did head like a hole and down in it. And I think that was, Whoa, I think that was, head what? Like, I think that was head like wow. a hole. I was thinking it would be like, Oh, something that, you know, before he was, those are, those were the two that we did. Those two. Cause it's, it's that, it's that era actually. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the, yeah. um, so I had the, uh, the pleasure lasts tangent, Rabbit, not quite a rabbit hole. I'm just saying it's a tangent fork in the road. We can get back. It's an off-ramp. We'll go explore okay. some shit and then come back. I was going to loop some stuff together, so go ahead. Okay. So <laughs> last summer um, in July, I was invited to participate in this conference on human performance and the influence of you know a, a team on individual performance and the contribution of an individual to a team at the Santa Fe Institute. And this is, you know, they, they are based on, you know, that whole thing exists to, to research complexity theory kind of stuff. Right. So, um, and I was like one of the, okay, we've got a bunch of scientists and then there's some like practical folk anyway. So I'm there and partway through, I can't, maybe it's day one. Uh, this guy comes up to me and introduces himself and uh says we've we've met before my name's my name's, my name's matt uh we've met before um th at the uh we met at base camp uh below peak communism in the pamirs in 1990 and i said yes and you turned me on to some music that sent me in a direction that uh has that i'm still on so obviously, I mean, if people were familiar with my past, I was very, you know, there's the punk thing, there's the dark electronic thing, there's, you know, blah, blah, blah. So uh, this guy, uh, he, he's, living, he's from Indiana, if I recall. Um, and, uh, and so he goes, uh, yeah, lays the first Nine Inch Nails cassette on me. 
Mussolini Head Kick, their first album, and then uh, first KMFDM record I ever heard. Whoa! Nice. With which he described, he said, "These guys out skinny puppy, skinny puppy." <laughs> yeah, which is pretty I accurate. Agree with that. Pretty kind yeah. of yeah, yeah. kind of accurate. Yeah. I mean, certainly in, in in that era. So this is like this is 1990. I'm gonna at this base camp. We've flown in by helicopter. We're sitting, you know, at 12,000 feet. And this guy's got like one of the most amazing sort of Midwest mullets that I have ever seen. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and he was there. I mean, it's basically he was in college, I'm guessing at the time. He was a young kid, but he had incredible music taste. I took all these notes from different conversations about music that we had and researched some of the bands that he mentioned that he didn't actually have tapes of. Um, and, and so, uh, but that head like a whole record, I, I like I, I played it that, you know, and I put my headphones on and turned it up all the way, obviously, because that's how you do that. <laughs> and I couldn't fucking believe what I was hearing. That's a great, it, like, that's a great. I mean, it's the perfect. Yeah, no, it's, it's an incredible record. Plus, if I'm Cleveland, not mistaken, yeah. that particular record, he 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 played every instrument on it. Anybody got a. It could be. Got there was, a, got a thing that. I mean, well, there was a band by the time we were involved, there was a there was a band but okay. I, I don't think it was in fact if i remember correctly the drummer is the was the brother of the guy that played robocop what i might be wrong about that but i'm pretty sure peter weller yeah well played joe holmes Whoa. Yeah, nicely done i can't remember trivial pursuit <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah exactly but i think Taking you're right I think, I think the recording was him doing everything doing everything and then yeah. he got people together to to yeah. the, to once he, he demonstrated his proof of concept yeah. that you know people are jumping on um in in a way or or whatever it's just like okay yeah. this makes sense this is the right music for the time um so it but so that was an incredible like I, I i vividly remember he's wearing this royal blue patagonia pullover with the lime green fucking zippers on it like i it was uh and i was there with ace cavalli and uh it, i mean that was an, a an amazing trip but but be, it'll be part of the soviet issue joe that we're nice. gonna put that uh Looking you with your that. uh your d degree in what My is degree, it? yeah. In Russian something or other? What do you yeah, got? I had a minor in uh, U.S.-Soviet relations. Okay. Yeah, nice. From, <laughs> from uh, the Ohio State University. Exactly. Thank the. you. Thanks for helping me out there. I, I can't remember if it was if it nice. was a capital T or a capital T, eight, capital H, capital E. It's an all not, cap. All cap sort of yeah. thing. Okay. You cap lock. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you cap lock when writing the Ohio State University. Okay, nice. so... <laughs> So I run into him at this fucking conference last year. And, and this is, so 1990 to 2018. That's like the time. So 28 years later. Is my math good there? Yeah. yeah okay. Um, run into Matthew again. And I'm just like, what in the fuck is the world telling me right now? I guess I need to go listen to some Nine <laughs> Listen to some, some yeah. Listen to Year Zero again and see if I can really figure out how to make an augmented reality game so that we can do something like that with this podcast. <laughs> Mine's not quite as exciting because I wasn't okay. doing any adventuring, but I was going to say my note-taking father burned my Nine Inch Nails album, which forever cemented my love of Nine Inch Nails. Awesome. <laughs> and, and, and Final burn's nice. Yeah. yeah. We talk Why about burning burn notes, it? which is really fucking weird. Oh, he, he burned it for sure. I mean, No, but why? Uh, because it was satanic. 
Huh. He's from Cleveland. That's not satanic. <laughs> it wasn't his fault. Uh, well, 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 <laughs> the, yeah, I, well, I also was burned. Water yeah. did burn there. Oh, <laughs> just yeah. to be clear, that's true. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. there's a film. He was. <laughs> I've seen the documentary. I wasn't allowed to read fantasy, so Lord of the Rings was demonic. It was very religious. Whoa, 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 mm. whoa! Yeah. yeah, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, but what about the Hobbit? Same. It's the same. Come on, that's fantasy. It's it's so lame. It's how the devil gets in. It's how the devil gets in. No, he gets in when you sneeze. Lord of the Rings. You saw the list. (laughs) (laughs) What about Wagner's rings? (laughs) (laughs) Or Musashi's rings. Oh, man. Nicely done. Man. That's well played because that got us off off the ring cycle, which I I don't want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> and and Oh wait, wait. Notes for my next interview with Mark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I was just going to say he said that, that was so well that was just like so enticing. You almost made me want to talk about it. Like <laughs> like okay, Eric Matthews consummate interviewer backed me know. into some corners before no actually I, I i i i'm fully joking about that no i understand because but i appreciate that we've been able to sit and ha- i think we've done probably at least half a dozen if not more yeah i mean more, and some of them rather probably. involved actually i mean some yeah. of them are sit, sort of sit down interviews but then the uh the rise to fitness thing i mean that was semi-involved yeah yeah <laughs> like that was an actual sort of multi-day production of you know post. by the way the last time i talked to dave maranasio i think he was retired and walking across the country what? i could be wrong about that but wow like, yeah like some so like okay let me david yeah, carradine style or like forrest gump style maranasio is kind of a he's a character <laughs> yeah i don't know how else to like so, uh, and I'm tr- and right now I'm trying to. So he was the guy running the, the agency. The agency. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to make that clear because yeah. now I'm, yes, I am tracking on exactly the. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily feel <laughs> out of content. Like. No, I know. Oh, you're walking across the country. Of course you are. Well, you, you know, I he mean, became. I, so this the guy that we're talking about was that he was the the founder and ran the ad agency that was responsible for uh the army national guard and we did some stuff for the national guard around man of steel we made some some so this is soldier of steel yeah it was soldier of yeah, steel so, right so, what was the one and you were so, so i just said rise to fitness which was post uh, 300 sequel yes rise of right, empire right, right, rise right. of fitness blah blah, blah. also but separate thing yeah so, but but so you said his name, and that's why I had the like the the disconnect because I was like, that was uh, a soldier. Yeah, that no, was the I'm connecting it the thing. wrong way. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, but I'm with you now. So that was a fucking huge agency. Yeah. So he he wrote, you know, he had written a book um, that I did about not know. Star Trek, I think, <laughs> and he was in the process of writing another book, um, or no, the new book was about Star Trek. The previous book was about. I'm not going to get it right, okay. but he had stepped in and did finishing financing on uh, the documentary that we made about journalism, about violent censorship. Okay. And then, which is killing the messenger, right? Deadly which, cost of news. Yes. Which so, we need to talk about in a second. And then he, and then we, uh, we sold that film. We immediately paid him back, which I don't think he ever expected okay <laughs> so um on the good graces of that we went back to him for end of truth uh the next the kidnapping documentary and okay. uh, and he got involved in that 
which we haven't made the money back yet to be able to, to pay him back. But the last time I reached out to him, he didn't really care because he was retired and going on this really long walk. I was going to so. say, is it, did he, I, my, my brain went like, oh, so he sold his car and to fund your thing and he couldn't pay it back. So now he's walking everywhere. Great. Oh. Nice work, Eric. Now I feel bad. I bet that is really what happened. You might be right. I It might be, maybe it's a tangent. I don't want to go down. I was wondering why. Should so, we just stop you now? Even maybe with, like, I'll ask the question, <laughs> and if it's totally out there, completely ignore it and just shift subjects, and everybody will know that I'm humiliated. But why certain things like the agency that markets the National Guard, or there's a billboard that advertises wait times in an emergency room? These are all. Like, <laughs> These are all things that should not need marketing behind them, but they have tons of marketing behind them. Yeah. It's a very strange thing to me. I don't know how to look at it because I go like, you know, what, like the people that are. Well, I think you look at military, it as communication, military. right? There are other words for communication because they, mm. they don't know how to necessarily articulate their story in a way that. I mean, with the National Guard, it was clear, like, their issue was was recruitment and retention. Right. You know, which I had some mixed feelings about. Like, I sure. don't know, like, do I really, is that something I really want to sign up for? But well, I By did. the numbers, there's not enough people that can pass the PT test, so they do need some help. But right. that's another subject, <laughs> which is that'd be sad, That'd but. be a, for a fitness podcast. Oh, right, yeah. yeah I mean, so, we don't talk about that shit here. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, I, I, I've been trying to avoid it the whole night actually and, and then hospitals advertising it's kind of the same thing it's like what are you at like yeah when something's wrong i go to the hospital and i don't like well which one has less weight the no my arm's broken i go to the one that's closest or I, I'll, I'll only wait five minutes there but it's going to take me 20 <laughs> minutes to get there <laughs> or i can go to this one and the wait time's 15 minutes so okay so like, it's not it's a it's a weird thing uh, and when you said marketing for the national guard i always wondered I, I mean i get it they need to and i know they're heavily involved in films to like here here's how you portray the military i mean the marine guy was the yeah i mean the you, liaison you I have some technical advisors on that stuff but that's but that's this this is was an interesting thing because like I'm actually pretty proud of the Soldier of Steel piece. I am too. Um, because I agree. we we made it we made it pretty well, and even as recently as within the last month, I've received an email about it. Not mm. like praising the thing, right. but more like, "What about month two? Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> we can only provide like four weeks of stuff. Um, but 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 the fact that a that it had legs, but b and I mean I looked at it and it was just like, well. You know, oftentimes, yeah, you can you, you can say, yeah, nobody digs it. Nobody, you know, participates in the National Guard is going to be down with like a fucking six or nine month deployment, you know, overseas. It, you know, mm-hmm. when they're CEO of some company here in Utah, right. for example, or whatever. So, there, but but um, the the work that they do during sort of disaster relief kind of stuff is pretty fucking 100%. important. And, you know, then I look at, look back and I just go, well, you know, they need to do some marketing because privilege, because entitlement, because no one wants to pay or trade for the stuff that 
in this country that we've been, you know, that, that, that we that the natural sort of opportunities that we have. And I think the National Guard is a really good way to go to to get to, to, to do that, actually. And so I think that video, you know, yeah, yeah it was a, it was an interesting tangent, you know, to go from Man of Steel to Soldier of Steel. Uh, but you market how you can and get yeah. people interested and and. Um, and you and use sort of whatever means, but I, you know, I, I I think that community service is is a good thing. I feel like I've and not necessarily voluntary community service, but yeah, you are taking some time out of your life to um, provide. I mean, certainly in my case, to provide education, to provide expertise that I developed in the civilian world to people who could actually use it in that job, which is part of the infrastructure of the country, which allows us the opportunities that we have. I think the idea of like na- uh, almost a mandatory national service. Uh, uh, well, this is what I was going to skip recently. the marketing and go where Joe's going. Which is yeah. like, if you want citizenship, no, it should was, be mandatory. I was yeah. trying to ease us into it. Man. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so <laughs> like, I got the on ramp, yeah. Joe. You pressed it. You get us in third. No, it's uh, <laughs> God. I can't remember who it was. Uh, just recently, this was brought up in an interview. Uh, uh, someone that was saying that, uh, and 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 I think. Of course, I say this as a 51-year-old. Uh, I think that the idea of mandatory national service, I mean, it would have done me good when I was younger, I think. And I, I, and, and I don't think it's not... I, but I don't it's think not it's necessarily a, like a military thing or, or just like some form of service that you do. Uh, for which you are paid minimum wage in the country in the in the, in the uh, specific municipal location where you're doing your service. <laughs> yeah. um, well, and regardless of that, I I think it's something that we can conceptually we could do at any time in our lives. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be like ah, oh, you know. Yeah. No, don't go to Europe and get a year rail pass and whatever you know <laughs> when you're fresh out of high school or you just graduated college or whatever like. It, there, there is, there is no time when it's not right to make that contribution, regardless of who's at the top of that particular pyramid scheme. <laughs> no, I mean, there, there needs Sorry. to be more opportunity for people to feel that they can participate and contribute to yes. the community that we all live in. Well, and that's it where it would this... make a difference if people did, and if it was, and it probably needs to be mandatory in some way because. People are lazy fucks, or, and, well, and, or tied and, to, <laughs> or tied to an ability, like because that, I think that's the big exchange. Like all our status is wrapped up in X BMW, or this is my house, or if it goes towards you know this is how many followers I have. There's nothing like you're just entitled to citizenship because you were born a certain place and born on one side of a border. Come on, man, let's do cynical with a lowercase c tonight oh, okay <laughs> but, but if that if, if citizenship was an Very actual thorough. status that you could achieve it would change the game and you wouldn't need to market you wouldn't need to advertise because everybody inherently understands the importance of a following like they just know you don't have to advertise like hey come to instagram and build a following everybody feels the social draw to that because there's power in it and there's power in being able to decide who governs your country. And right now, it's just an entitlement. Now it's just a oh yeah, whatever. I think it, the th- you know one of the things that we've often talked about is like people we want the the, the people that we want in our space mm-hmm. are people who contribute more than they take, mm-hmm. hmm. which sure. I believe makes our space unique and actually mm. opposite to 
a lot of things outside, like the mm-hmm. general trend, let's say outside, where there's more take, take, take than sure. than give. And I would say that's ability based because, like, you know, somebody has hit me up on Instagram. Hey, I'd love to participate in some of the stuff that you do and this and that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, what do you do? What can you contribute? No, I just really am a fan. Well, I don't need a fucking fan. <laughs> I mean, I got one. I plug it in. I turn it on. It's got three speeds. <laughs> like, I, like and, and yeah, I want to be involved in this momentum, this cool thing. I mean, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, what can you bring to the table that would make it better for the project, not better for yourself? I, so start I, thinking that way, folks, if you want to participate and not. Joe, I don't, go ahead. I don't know Sorry. if this is an appropriate segue, but the, <laughs> the uh, John, who came for the symposium, yeah, on the scholarship, yeah, got had, the, got the full dose. Yes, he did. <laughs> I got the van life for sure. <laughs> he got van life, gangster. He got Vanapalooza. He, he got Vanapalooza two and he, three, I two, think, two, for geez, sure, for sure. Because then he got Tom Sawyer <laughs> after his car broke down. Who knows oh, what? Right. Who knows? Yeah, but who knows like what that uh, experience? Yeah, how that could how that could shape things. I I was thinking I have thought a lot about that because had I parachuted into that thing, and obviously he's John has been like watching because he wouldn't have been invited to petition for a scholarship to the symposium had he not made a supporter's contribution. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right? Like he had to buy yeah. he had to have He's like, how'd that purchased- guy get in the building? <laughs> we need fucking security here. Are you John, kidding me? John, if you're listening, we we love you, but <laughs> we're provoking no. your badge. I don't know who gave you that. But it was so he he'd obviously earned the right to petition. Mm-hmm. We awarded the scholarship, he came out, and then he just went full in. Oh yeah. Like or went all in, I guess. Um you know, Sunday night dinner's coming around, and it's like, yeah, come on upstairs. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm not one of the, yeah. you know, I'm here on a scholarship. I'm like, fuck, there's plenty of food. Come, you know, let's let's go. You know, well, I, I think he actually it was actually exactly there was one more chair. Okay, there was one more chair. Uh, and, and I and I actually d- deferred it. I said, I think you have to ask Aaron or Michael because I'm not sure how many spaces there are, but whatever. Um, and then it just kind of escalated, and then his car blew up, and he had to stay a couple of days, and he came back and helped out, and like he. He contributed by like by way of coming and helping us pack shit. Yep. I'm just like that is like to 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 get in contact after getting stuck due to a vehicle meltdown. Um, Randomly walking in front of the building. Yeah, well, I had a when, soft when spot we were in the mailroom because he and, he is a fellow brother. He owns an LGBT Cubaru as well. Well, so. he, well, he, he used to. He did. <laughs> yeah. it's past tense. It's, like I that's, hope sal- can, that's salvage now. I hope he can find his way back to a Fozzie, but we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> I just keep I just least... keep going back to like the image of him in the corner of of Vanapalooza. Wonder <laughs> you, rem- <laughs> you remember any of that, Joe? <laughs> I, I actually have pictures. I have video. Oh no, I've oh, got. Right. A, I've actually got. A... John, I'll send them to you. I've got a couple of great portraits okay. from that night. Or. I, I don't know. If you're... There is something like I, I'm kind of I mean, there was one of the standards that we set. And I think this is I mean, this is our big marketing appeal with this place is like we just do everything ourselves in hope that we set the standard that we do everything ourselves. I think somebody told me at some point, like, why are you mopping at the seminar? And I was like, 
Because it's it my place, <laughs> and that's what I like. I can't not mop. Yeah. If I see a mess, I have to mop it up. But I was, you know, not shocked, but also pleasantly surprised that so many people like do it without asking. Like it, somebody had apparently uh, seen us leave late, and the whole place was mopped the next morning before we even showed up. I don't know who did it. I think it was Trevor. Probably, I'm pretty sure it was Trevor. Yeah, because Trevor's yeah. has the same O. OCO. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in high school, I worked in the theater department and we had a, th- a theater, a really nice working theater that did summer stock and, and a hard ass, um, the shop teacher actually who ran like basically all the behind the scenes aspect of the theater. And, and when we would do student productions, one of the rules was that everybody came to strike when the show is over and you took the show down, the actors, the musicians, and the stage crew mm. all contributed to doing that. And that stuck with me in a way that I think is relatable to what you're talking about, the idea that you bring something, you all contribute to an experience, and that makes that experience a better thing. Those were richer experiences for everybody because we all got together and did that skateboarding does that in a way that's a little different but i think that and film did that like yeah. especially those early the early music video days to do like everything indie yeah. film days even the goofy stuff that we were watching mm-hmm. earlier tonight like clearly people had to pull together it's not like you know if there was no food everybody was going to go oh well the craft service hasn't shown up yet <laughs> someone was going to go get food out of the fridge and feed everybody yeah. right? it's like with the like the young kids that I work with uh, in Europe with the national team, I, I I always stress like look for something to do. Yeah, and 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 like I think uh, uh, I had a crew a couple of years in a row, uh, and there was this kid Luke. He was he was the van loader. Hmm. Like no one could load a van like this kid. And this was a group of 15 and 16 year old kids and his birthday, like he was technically 14 and he was the most mature of all of them. And, and he, like I'd come out and the van would be ready to go, you know, and just like look for something to do. Yeah. Like chip in. Who's the guy that, uh, wrote that book about the all blacks. He called it sweeping the sheds, like the culture yeah. of the all blacks. Yeah. Mm. And that was a big part of it. It's like, it doesn't matter what level you are. Um, on the team whether you're like everybody after the game comes back and cleans up at the lowest level like there is no janitor everybody has to do you know the remedial work because that's what binds a culture together sometimes it's like everybody contributes something i think that's i mean it is a big part because we see now everybody's trying to reach a place and status where they can get everything done for them but that removes the whole contribution thing of like belonging to a community and you uh sebastian younger talks about it when Mm -hmm. he talks about moving to like a a poor neighborhood not because you know he's obviously not poor but he understands that all those people depend on each other he likes to be a part of that framework as far as i could understand from like interviews that he's had about that it's like it makes him feel like he belongs he could live in probably any neighborhood he wanted you know barring some in, in New York, but he chooses where he does just because of that simple fact that when he shows up, he knows people are depending on him and it gives him something to actually help out with. It's interesting. 
I mean, the three of us have worked on, you know, I think if you look at it from a leadership perspective, like we've worked on movies with a director who's the leader, mm-hmm. who who knows who that says hi, ev- by the way, who says hello and knows because. knows that everybody down to the lowest mm-hmm. person on the on the roster is contributing to the greater good of the of the, yes. the project. And we've worked on movies where the director was total shit <laughs> and didn't. And, and you see the difference in the end product and you see the difference in the day to day behavior of people around and and and, and, and the, 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 re, the the cost following wrapping that production right like for everybody who worked on it it's just like oh well we were not it just wasn't the other yeah it's not the same and then the other guy came yeah. in and redid everything anyway <laughs> Shh. oh shut sorry. your mouth <laughs> i didn't say that Anyway, well, um, there was edit, an edit. email that went out that I was searching right now, and I believe the title was "Standards and Leadership" oh, by Mark Twain. <laughs> oh, I have all of those texts, and or, or all of. I actually thought about publishing, put, posting that on the site, trying to figure out how to like make it as you know, and uh, not tied to a particular project as possible. Yeah, try to remove. <laughs> yeah, you know, the names have been changed to protect the guilty. <laughs> <laughs> But there was no yeah. one's innocent. Could remove some. No. Do, do you have it right? There? Are you? I'm almost there. Jesus H. That's yeah. Because there's 2012 standards and leadership. Oh, I just. I'd feel like I'd have come to come on. Pull some a names. pull a gem out of that. I was like I was on fire when I wrote that. It was. It's. <laughs> it's all here. It's fucking long. <laughs> it was. Um, a, it was a bonfire. Let me see if I can <laughs> remove some names, dear. Blank, blank. <laughs> I've spent some time on the phone with blank over the last two days, and I'm seeing a global issue materialize that we should address. Throughout the preparation process, no standard of expectation for body composition has ever been proposed. We have all heard of a lot of talk about how these guys don't need to look like the original guys, that they are free who, who take up arms so they can be a little less muscular, less ripped. Still, these are words, and they are being interpreted in different ways by different individuals in accordance with pre-existing temperament. The stunt guys want to train and look a certain way, so they do, and they are willing to work hard. Some of those, some of the actors don't have any desire to train and consider that the words they have heard about not needing to look like blank meant they don't have to do anything they do not want to do or eat what they do not want to eat, etc. If you leave the definition of body composition up to them, you allow them to decide how the movie looks, how the protagonist looks. Instead, it is the director's job and responsibility of the producers to instruct the actors how they will look in order to best play the role. Of course, this requires knowing what you want, communicating it, and enforcing the standards. And this is why I no longer work in the film business. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, man, it's so good. <laughs> Obviously, this being from 2012, um, <clears throat> I didn't lose my job, but uh, uh, Jesus. let's. Can we just stop, right? Can I we don't stop? know. It's so do we good. Need, do we need to throw a, a segue tangent in somewhere? Can, can we just? Oh, or I'm going to just, just drain read this, this line. I just, I got, okay. I understand that these are actors and hired for their sensitivity. 
First training to achieve a particular body composition and psychological condition won't dull their sensitivity or keep them from portraying the characters. Second, the training, if done with requisite commitment and presence, will lead them to an understanding of the characters they are playing and they cannot achieve it in any other way. Third, they cannot act their way into physical presence if body composition composition is contradictory. Surely they are good actors, pretenders, but admit it, they are not great. They are the best who could be had for the budget. And the reason they are far down the list is because they don't volunteer to do more as a habit. In fact, if we are seeing their true character in the gym and with the diet, then they have a habit of doing the absolute minimum and anything that causes some discomfort or confrontation with self is avoided then they throw tantrums and run to mommy when pushed to do anything contrary to stop, stop, their childish so desire dead right being now. an actor does not excuse Blake and Blake from training for the physical roles they have signed contracts to play I could go it keeps going for pages by the way this was to producers and the director um, this is I have some good memories from that job. Though. I do. I loved that. that I, I've learned more on that job than I think I've ever learned anything. I, I guess uh, one of the, that email included when I was like, "Oh, look at the balls on Mark." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Hey, was your next thought? Should I be packing?" No, <laughs> no, no, because here, I here, think they were just... on our side. Like, I, I, I really, he wasn't. I don't think in the if if you read it, it's not him talking down to them he's actually reaffirming like hey we've done this before and you guys allowed us to do it because of, you had good leadership and the leadership is absent it was you know the basic. Uh, yeah um so <laughs> let me just like bring wait, this wait wait what, what what was the that, phrase what was it, the what, phrase why are you the way that you are why am i like this <laughs> That's but, well, yeah. but to answer joe's question if we were packing i would have gladly and maybe that was what it was mark was like well fuck let's get out of here yeah, <laughs> write this email. Hey, if i could just write this email we'll get fired and we'll be done it'll be awesome we can um, go home but the, <laughs> let me just plan to like draw this into more modern sort of parlance because there was this book titled i believe the subtle art of not giving a fuck yeah and so that email represents <laughs> the not so not so subtle art blatant. of the blatant actually art. <laughs> giving a fuck and willing to lay yourself on the line for what you care about i like that as a title for a book actually the blatant art of giving a fuck <laughs> yeah and because goes, I think like that, that whole idea of like, oh, don't you, you know, it, this doesn't matter. So don't care about it. Or, I mean, I don't know what I tried to read the book or maybe I read the cliff notes or some shit. And I'm just like, you know, if you don't care, like if you don't give a fuck, you'll never accomplish anything. If you give too many fucks, it'll, yeah, it could stall you in your tracks, but you're probably in, if you're, if, if you think that you're caring too much. And that's the problem. You're fucking incompetent already. And so it won't matter whether you give a fuck or don't give a fuck. Well, Buy the book. Read the book. Make that guy rich. I'm going to give people a bunch of fuel to yeah. blast. But I say yeah. if 66% of the population is overweight or obese, not quite plenty yet. of people not quite don't yet. give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like it's obvious that people Oh, no. The only it. problem that we had with that one episode where we were talking about, you know, people being fitness. fat. Talking it, about fitness. You no, know, we were talking about fitness. But <laughs> I, I think the, 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 the actual comment was saying that people are fat because they're stupid is wrong. And I was trying to find the wrongness in it. I, because 
you can be, you know, because I think it does I said, require some intelligence to make good decisions well, about a variety s- of things. But I did say ignorant, I think, which I is think without I, knowledge, actually, which actually, people who are stupid are without knowledge. So you could, they, they are. Actually, I think we said stupid. Oh, really? Yeah. No, fuck. In fact, well, I think you might have said stupid. But it I was about to bring it back around. Say the the okay. same word. It's just one is more blatant than the other. Well, I still stand one by has it. only rude, two. Sure, so but. here's the deal with that. <laughs> you say ignorant. It's got three syllables. That's that's one too many for some people. So you got to say, say stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what's wrong with the statement. Well, the point was, is that people see things as like I was comparing uh, people see things as racism, as evil. And I don't. I think it's a lack of education. Oh, well, we went from obesity to racism. Well, what that's fuck, that, in that thing. And I said, it's the same thing. Like when people don't know. They fall into the trap of, you know, not eating correctly, not being able to take care of themselves. Just like somebody who doesn't know that that's a ridiculous. But it's a a really simple thing. You just take it back, like eat for an outcome. Like, because we always and we always say it's a fitness podcast. Let's talk about fitness. We always talk about training for purpose, training for an outcome, like training to take it outside the gym, do something outside. So eat for an outcome. Okay, if you're if 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 your diet if the way you are eating is producing a body that you don't want to be in, I'm for sure eating for pleasure. Joe Holmes eats for pleasure, <laughs> and then he rides, and then he self- rides because he hates himself. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it that that true. fucking it's trainer. It's for like two and a half hours. How long was it? Two and a half 245 hours? 245 today. That was pretty close. I saw it on Strava. It was, <laughs> that's how I know. That's what it sounds like yeah. for two hours and 45 minutes in the office while I'm packing packages. I that's Sorry, a, not sorry. No, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm not saying don't apologize. I go, dude, guy's fucking paying for it. Like, well, yeah, it, like that plus one. For Joe. At least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that chocolate cake is up there. It's almost gone. <laughs> that was what the, the extra 45 minutes were about today. I know, I know that on the training plan, it said two hours, but then obviously yeah. there was some chocolate yeah. cake missing and he was like staring at it the whole time because the yeah. trainer set up in front of the counter the chocolate cake it's sitting on. Yeah. I don't know if that's like a thing where he's riding towards a reward or, <laughs> or riding to, away from a punishment. Or, exactly. Or just watching the cake. And like dial, you know, like realizing, like okay, that's I, so it's a it, self-loathing training plan. Uh, yeah. So the, the whole point of the like what um, what you were saying about everybody picking up the last like it's not necessarily the cast trainer's job to reaffirm leadership and standards and do this whole thing, but the whole fucking thing was not up to standard, and it I think because we're all expected. I saw it like I mean I I mentioned it I think I even wrote an article about it when it, my first exposure to it on Man of Steel seeing how many people are responsible for this product that's getting put out was unbelievably humbling like the yeah. amount of like expertise that goes into every facet and to see that there was somebody directing that madness and that chaos that was like oh I'm just a, a cog and I'm like I will do whatever it takes and we did like we jumped when we needed to jump. We, we jumped higher than we needed to. And I think every, especially knowing Zach and the teams that he puts together, every person does that. And then when you don't have that, Mark's email was basically a step up to the plate to be like, hey guys, I have a problem with this because this isn't, in my experience, how these things work out. 
Yeah. And so the as many people could laugh at that letter as being like, what the fuck? Like, I think it's because most people don't have the balls to actually step out and say like, hey, I'm not okay with this. Let's do better. Because that means they have to actually do better. But if you set that standard and you and everybody sets that standard, it's not unusual. That that shouldn't be out of the norm. <clears throat> it shouldn't. That that should be the normal thing where if anybody sees anything wrong, like including in this space, when you go, man, the, the floor is a little bit dirty. I'm going to mop that. That should just happen. But I think there's also places where it's a calculus, right? And mm-hmm. sometimes I've been in position where I've been leading much smaller teams of people and I went into it knowing that certain individuals were only going to carry their bucket of water. Mm. And that was going to be how it was going to be. And and in, in one very particular instance, which actually relates to some of my early awareness of, of your writing, of Mark's writing, I knew that there was going to be me and the artist. And the artist was going to do the art. He wasn't going to contribute to making sure that we got in and out safely, that, you know, all the dumb little things, right? That the equipment was clean at the end of the night. Like I was going to have to do all of that. And I accepted that going into it, but I trained for that outcome. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing at the time, but I knew enough to know. And I'd picked up enough from reading things that I'd read that you had written, seeing other things, um, searching for that kind of information because I knew that that was an approach that had to be taken. And so I think that there's that both things exist, right? There's, there's, yeah, we can go make man of steel and there's 400, 600, people on a given day and there's one person that well there's actually a number of people but there's basically one person who's who's got the final say on everything that person's attitude changes everybody else everybody's behavior behavior yeah. but there's in the same situation when it comes down to two people or I've done other things with three or four people you just have to accept that mm. certain things are going to go a certain way and if you if you push against that and expect that you're going to somehow entice them or convince them or trick them into playing a role that they were never going to come into it to play, then the whole thing doesn't work. Hmm. And that job, we went to Jonestown. So, yeah, I think you sent me a, uh, yeah. the a, a slide of <laughs> yeah, that recently yeah. that um, I just found yeah. yeah which that how many years after the fact so we were there in 94 I, I feel like 94 is what you said yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah yeah it was heavy that's, that's that's like that was the I haven't been too many places that felt <clears throat> haunted that I would use that word yeah. and yeah, that, but that place felt haunted. But Jonestown was, yeah, hmm. the actual site felt like we shouldn't really be there. I would, I, I, just that word haunted, and I've got some stuff in my head right now that I need to. I guess what I just have to talk about right now. Let's go. Um, Do it. It was uh, there's a monument below the RuPaul face of Nanga Parbat, 
And it basically is an, is an accounting of every person who's ever been killed on that mountain. And uh, so I'd written a piece, uh, when we were there in 88, I'd written a poem called 60, because uh, up to that point, 56 people had been killed on that mountain, and we were a team of four. And I did not want to be number 60. Oh. And the reason I've been thinking about that place and that you know that that particular mountain right now, which also has the, you know, this the silly silly although not inaccurate sort of nickname as the Killer Mountain. It's you know it's oh, one of the fourteen thousand Hargraves yeah, kids there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's one of the fourteen eight thousand meter peaks. And and uh, um, and Allison Hargraves' son Tom has been missing since well they haven't the last contact was Sunday, so it's been basically in Pakistan time. It's been you know uh, it's five days. Right right now um and there was a tent spotted today somewhere uh, relatively high they were trying to climb a new route on the mummery rib as far as i could tell um and it looked like this tent had been potentially hit by an avalanche or something like that mm-hmm. and, and uh um but the weather's been super bad at first they couldn't get helicopters in because of the um basically kind of a no-fly zone on account of pakistan and india are having a disagreement a more heated than it has been uh, recently. Um, and so they couldn't fly in and they finally got some helicopters in. The weather was bad. And so anyway, I was thinking, but, but that, that monument, you know, in the Rupal Valley, it's just like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, people's names hammered out into rocks and, wow. and these big pile of stones of, of, you know, representing, you know, each person that had been killed on the mountain. And, and there was a, there was a scene in, the 30s, I think. I, I can't remember exactly where. Um, they they know that at a certain time of night, this avalanche came through one of the camps and, I mean, killed 15 people in one shot or whatever because, you know, many people's watches stopped at that time. And uh, so it's how they kind of identified that, oh, this avalanche happened in the night when they were sleeping and blah, blah, blah. It was about this time. You're just like, fucking hell. Yeah, haunted. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. You go to, like, these places where... Uh, stuff like that's happened just like okay energy stopped here Mm -hmm. let's talk about fitness (laughs) (laughs) that was me making the chair fart (laughs) it would have been way better if it was an actual let's talk about fitness i could work that up (laughs) it's like oh yeah you had you had like lima bean stew didn't you yeah give me another whiskey i'll get get one going (laughs) Joe Holmes, what do you got? I got a beaker of whiskey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Beats the hell out of a pint glass. I don't even think it was technically a pint glass. It was, you know, just a large water glass. <laughs> I, yeah, you're right. It's true. It would not have been a... A proper whatever, pour. A proper pour. Yeah, no, it was... I, I saw... I saw an, I saw a, a deliciously improper pour in here one night when uh, <clears throat> a particularly young lady who's not totally familiar with adult beverages poured a oh so we <laughs> I don't know when this is coming out but it'll be a great the the the, the two at least two episodes of the uh, the, the conversation that Chris Kalus who um, makes publishes creates the uh, in normal cast podcast um he was here and we were doing and we recorded a, uh, an episode for um for, for him for the in normal cast in the studio here and 
and Talila was here and she poured him his second whiskey and it was one of those pint glasses and it was not small. It was like, <laughs> and I think Chris looked at it and said like, man, if I finish this, we're going to a really bad place. <laughs> it was so awesome. Yeah. yeah. That, we've, and, we've been educating her on the finer points of... Yeah. adult beverages i actually can't wait for that podcast to come out because it was i mean it was this it was a, the, the second podcast i've agreed to be of uh, someone else's first one was andy stumps the cleared hot podcast i think it was episode 46 maybe andy correct me whatever um something like that and uh and that one it was actually a couple of years in the making when chris when we finally got it together to, that, that he and i got in the same place at the same time and could have that conversation and it was um it was it was fun. It was emotional. It was fucked. It was amazing. It was live. Hmm. And there was whiskey. <laughs> we have, we have and, a whiskey platter. I know. And and uh, uh, there's it, no it, mezcal on it though. I feel like you need there needs do you to think? be maybe okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can. I, I we can make this. You know, whatever it needs to be for whoever is here. <laughs> like the, the the most embarrassing bar. You know, like sort of. You know. I'll, I'll provide drinks for the podcast. The most embarrassing night was like the, I think the second night that Nicole Morgenthau was here with us. Mm. And I bring out this thing and, and I like, have, oh. I had this bottle sitting on my desk <laughs> that somebody gave me. I never really looked at it. I just, I just assumed they knew me and that it was a bottle of red. Oh, and it's a bottle of like no. no rose. No, no. It's a fucking bottle of port. port. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so we pour I pour it and I'm like, wow, this looks really this weird. It's really sweet. <laughs> this like looks sugar. really full <laughs> body. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a robust red. It has a nice mouthfeel to it. <laughs> it <laughs> Nicole's like, yeah, that's port. That's port. She said that. I'm just like, oh my god. I'm so sorry. You could have made a reduction. I promised her like a wonderful. Saying, you could have made a reduction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and as we said, it'd be awesome on beef, but not so great on chicken. It depends. It can be good on chicken. Uh, oh no, no. I know it can be good on chicken. Uh, it, it would just be a waste if it was a proper port. <laughs> if you're talking about, you know, some. Like, what about stand. pigeon? No. <laughs> Got to catch one first. <laughs> And then drown them in port. Quail. I mean, that. ooh. I don't know. I, mean, quail. I, I don't know why, but that story about Nicole made me think about the night at your place when I reached into the wine cooler and I just slid the drawer out. And you, and Stop. You... Stop. <laughs> Do not embarrass me further. I've already started. He just had this look of like, those slide out. <laughs> It's like this beautiful wine refrigerator that that came that was in the kitchen when I bought the place. Oh, and you didn't know that the rack had rollers on it. No, I've been like it's like trying to fidget bottles in there since the beginning. Like I, I knew they had a door that opened, I could control the temperature. That was the extent of my knowledge about yeah. my wine refrigerator. That's pretty good. Or storage thing. Or but whatever. Joe, of course, is a professional when it comes uh, to handling alcohol. <laughs> Specific, I don't know about specific, the handling like, part. Yeah, I know. Wait, well, I, we can ask what, a couple of uh, Vanapalooza victims. <laughs> victim. I, I, That's singular. I, I believe the only victim of all the participants in the various Vanapaloozas from zero, which was like a rehearsal, through three. Sound check. That was a sound check. That was a sound check. Um, I believe the only victim has been Joe. That's <laughs> true. But Fair it was enough. a slip and fall, and he's an older guy, so it's like yeah, it's yeah. to be expected. Maybe a TBI. We're not sure. 
No. We'll see once I post a video of it. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, snap. Yeah. Um, I, I got to bring this back to the more serious documentaries. Okay. okay. Because, because <clears throat> this is a, a, actually, like, I, I would say through this process, since the, since the music videos and, and that whole era of your life was new to me, I'd have to say we don't know each other that well. I'm just going to say Fair that enough. and we can, yeah, yeah. and, and I mean, cause, and not that, you know, someone needs to know somebody's entire life history or whatever to be a good friend. It's not that that I'm implying. It's just that, that what you, your sort of trajectory in, in your relationship to the world um, is different than I thought it was in the beginning. So I'm just like, I was a movie guy or whatever. And mm-hmm. then, I start to realize, like, okay, it's deeper. It's deeper. We un- like, there's more skin shed. There's another layer <laughs> uncovered. There's and um and I got to a point where I thought, where I thought, okay, Eric does these big movie jobs in order to finance what he's really here to do. Pretty I, accurate, yeah. And I mean, I made it up in my own head, so it it, it could be wholly inaccurate, but. A little bit of back and forth discussion about the, um, the you know the, the, the I'll just say at risk journalism sort of documentary, the mm-hmm. Killing the Messenger documentary, um, and then the kidnapping one. Mm-hmm. Thought okay, these are issues that need to be discussed, and the fact you know then on sort of and since we haven't been working on jobs or had those early morning conversations or whatever <laughs> you know uh, uh, on those jobs. You know some of what I you know see that you are interested in or doing or involved in via the you know Vero as a yep. social media thing lately. Um, I, I just realized like okay, it's journalistic freedom seems to be the topic that is at sort of the very close to the top of your hierarchy in a way. At, you know, obviously, um, family, dogs, and then this other stuff. Yeah, um, and. and uh, and I, I and I think this is a topic that I mean I don't I am not qualified to discuss because I I have like the a lot of trouble discerning fake from real when it comes to reporting as I believe most people do I like yeah. to think I'm a little bit smarter than the average but maybe not especially when it comes to stuff like that because I'm like oh really that didn't actually happen oh I I was so convinced and therefore I'm as gullible as the next person. And to critically look at things um, which, you know, demand a level of journalistic integrity. And that integrity is being influenced not only by money, but other sort of very restrictive boundaries that are being placed around, you know, whether it's access, whether it's um, the, the manipulation of the information that comes back from the real world into the newsroom and, and stuff it's to, to me it's it, it is it is fascinating and necessary and um a i applaud the, the, the energy that you put into it but i also kind of very i i want you to sort of more than 25 words on on, on that idea <laughs> because it's because it's obviously been something that's super important yeah. that you've done other work that you know to earn money that maybe that work wasn't as satisfying so you could accomplish this other thing that you feel is more is quite important and that to me is also rare and I thank tip, you I tip my hat I appreciate that thank you um, 
So my wife and I make documentaries together. Trish and I make films together. Sometimes we work on other people's films. Um, we ran a production company together. We've done a lot of different things over the years. And at a certain point, we decided that what we really wanted to do was uh, make our own documentaries. We don't have children. We made good incomes. We wanted to be able to put that time and, and some of our own money. The real goal was to get other people to pay for them. That didn't always work out. Um, I'm not unfamiliar with this. There's a lot of what we call swimming halfway across the lake. <laughs> then like, I guess we need to get to the other side. But anyway, um, a number of years ago, the other thing I should say to set to, for the setup is that both of us, unbeknownst to each other, had entertained the idea of going into a career of photojournalism at different okay. times for different reasons. So we always had an interest and a, and a passion for journalism. I worked in magazines for a long time also, which is a whole other tangent that we could go down. Um, so one of the, it was like the third film we made, um, we decided we were going to tackle the topic of violent censorship of journalists and the freedom of the press. And um, we spent about a year researching to figure out what the stories that we wanted to tell were. And, you know, I, so that was 2008, I think, around there, um, that we started it. And I think how I would answer questions about truth and fake news and all of that. It the, totally changed over the 10 years in between. And and even more so over the past, say, two years or 10 months even. Sure. I think everything I, I see around us, everything is affected by exponential change. I think journalism particularly is affected by exponential changes that we don't necessarily, as a society, acknowledge or grasp, pay attention to. So I don't, you know, what I used to say is that... Um, the key to understanding the news better and contributing to the safety of journalism, not just journalists, but the journalism was for essentially for the audience to recognize that we're complicit. If there's even, we have a, a journalist in killing the messenger of a French woman, Florence Obuenas, who was kidnapped in, uh, in the first Iraq war in Baghdad. Um, and held for hundreds of days. Um, you know, she says, if you open the newspaper, you're complicit in what we're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and, and what I took from that and, and have spent time, you know, we've done seminars and workshops with journalists and, and people who work in journalism safety to say that, you know, you apply the same, good practice as a as a reader or viewer of the news that you would expect a reporter to apply to reporting the news so triangulating sources verifying information not just taking it at face value not just taking it at face value not just reading the headline reading the headline thinking, from the particular source that your personal bias directs you to well and because guess what the reporter doesn't write the headline 
Yeah. The editor writes the headline. Now, if the editor is working for a major news outlet that is commercially funded, that headline might not have anything to do with what the article's about. It's clickbait. So there's a lot there, right? But that idea of just um, participating in the news by applying an understanding of those kind of practices uh, would have been my answer. And I don't, I don't feel like that's even that. I think that there's still a kernel of truth to that. Um, but I think that things have changed, you know, radically. I think you have to be way more suspicious now yes. than 10 years ago. 100%. And, and you and you have to be able to dig. You got to want to know, like, okay, who's behind that story? Who's yeah. paying? Uh, you know, I just I saw a statistic yesterday that 60% of Americans now polls how many people were actually surveyed. I don't yeah. know. Six out of 10 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But actually believe that reporters are paid by their sources. That's terrifying yeah. to me. Like that's a terrifying statistic, right? That people think that journalists are paid by the sources of the story that they're writing. Do, do you think a lot of this influence on the on like so, the shifting of perception has to do with obviously social media influence? Absolutely. And, and the, I'm not saying like just the platform, but the... The idea of it has changed the uh, the income for what paid for journalism. Now it now it is clicks through. It's still advertising technically, but it's a different form of advertising, and so therefore the titles change in order to get people to just click, not necessarily read the article. And then it seems to me like it's shifted because articles used to stand on their own for their goodness. Yeah. Not their popularity, well, maybe or or whatever. I, mean, I just read this. I read this amazing book called um, "Infamous Scribblers." <laughs> oh my god! Full disclosure: written by a by a, a longtime journalist for Fox. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. may naturally assign some bias to sure. to that. But he traces the history of the newspaper in America back to 1690. And all of those papers were propaganda machines yeah. for whoever's intentions were behind it, right? right? Whatever. So I don't know. I mean, I think social media has amplified that, but I don't think that's ever not been there. No, it's come full no, circle the, the, from what I understand. The reach yeah. is simply yeah. greater and, and, and more instant Yeah, in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And there's good independent journalism. There's really good local journalism. And I think that there's... You have to make the choice to look for it. Yeah. And then once you've found it, you have to decide whether you really want to. Like, how, how deep am I going to dig to find out whether this is true or not? That's right. Yeah. But, yeah. but even, I mean, and this, this goes just because um, I, I've seen how journalists portray things, like, on that level. And is this, that Lambert snoring? I, I, yeah, I was I just going to say, is there, funny. is there a... He's out. Pop, just he's outside right, the right behind Eric. Okay, but I, because I've seen, because <laughs> I've seen, totally bored by the conversation. Yeah, about yeah, journalist not safety. Yeah, like, whatever, guys. There's plenty of journalists. The, the, fake news. The the idea, like, because I've seen how things get reported by journalists who effectively are well known for telling like the story, whatever. Now, how, however, inconsequential the actual subject matter is how far off they are on like a spectrum of 
180 degrees from the truth and and known like in being part of that subject matter and just seeing what comes out in print i don't trust anything that i read anyway hmm. just because i've seen it and i'm like okay this guy talked to experts people that i know and myself included and this is what they came out with which is so far from the truth that it's ridiculous now hmm. we're talking about health and fitness in most cases <laughs> but i've like you so not serious journalism is what you're talking about. But like, these are all pretenders in a pretend, fake, made up fucking business. But what is the difference between that and Fox News? Come on, help me out with this. But they're both entertainment. Like, and that, that's where I see the well, biggest thing is is like journalism now is entertainment. It's not reporting yes things no. that we need I don't to know about. I don't think an all journalistic endeavor. No, no, no. I don't think so either, Joe. But I also think that, that the way that people consume social media in a way influences the way that they consume real information and news. Yeah. And I think that's the danger is like, okay, so you've got this, these bullshit you know, journalists in the fitness industry who can't get it right to save their fucking lives. And people consume that, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot. And then they switch up to something, you know, let's just go to BBC or Le Monde yeah. or something like that, where there is some, and you can, Eric, correct me if I'm wrong, there is some more realistic reporting, let's say, or closer to the truth right. type of reporting or serious journalism going on. And they, but they, they take the social media attitude into that and therefore, their relationship with real information is skewed by the relationship with the fake information that they got that, like, scratched the itch that they had or are those was titillating. Are those people going to go to the BBC website? Real if, news from Men's Fitness to the BBC? No, not ever. Yeah. Fuck those people. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I, but, but, or, or maybe I just shot a hole in my own, my own argument, but I, but I, I think the overpowering influence of the social on the real media, in a sense, is something that maybe, you know, people need to be cognizant of is like how, if I want to take this chick's ass at face value, Right. Don't I? <laughs> Come on, she's she's like she's obviously selling. She's an Instagram influencer. Her, you know, I was like, is it beautiful? If I can, pair of I just imagine an ass at face <laughs> level, not value. No. I'm just, okay, I'm sorry. So I just took okay, it whatever. I, I was just <laughs> po you know talking about what I see on social media sometimes. So I want to take this thing at face value. So I am I am obliged to. I, I'm not suspicious of social media for some reason. Like. Not talking about me personally. I'm going to hypothetically big the, be the ignorant fuck that I am not. Um, so I like look at the social media thing and I take that seriously. And then that level of seriousness, I, you know, you know, swipe left or right or up or down or whatever the fuck. And I get to well, the CNN and my my attitude, my appreciation for the seriousness of what is coming at me is the exa exact same. So if I take the asset safe at, at face value, then I'm also going to take yeah, yeah, the yeah. you know the bullshit manipulation. <clears throat> sure, because you all see you see it as part of the same media. I, I so am, your attitude towards it is the same. Right. I am I am being ineloquent, but I hopefully no. I get it. Okay. I, and I and help I, me out. Uh, no, I could <laughs> see that. What I'm. Uh, what I think is, A, social media has leveled a platform that I think needs leveling. Like the hierarchy of somebody telling us what is happening isn't necessarily 
especially in the oh. past, is it hasn't been the most genuine thing because that is that can be a propaganda machine control. So I think having people who are on the ground, especially like when you're seeing like revolutions being tweeted live, you're getting yeah. In some cases, if you're following the right thing, you're getting a a more chaotic picture for sure, but you're getting a more leveled picture. Um, as as opposed to an assessment after the fact, perhaps or? this this gets undone when you when you just see like uh, I think the statistic just came out, but it was like eighty um, percent of left sided journalists follow like less than five percent of right conservative journalism. And so, and it's the same flip flop. Like everything is being shifted to oh, no, whatever well, you're a lot curating, of right? But there's also, I mean, I think you know we don't necessarily differentiate culturally between access journalism mm-hmm. and punditry and opinion mm-hmm. and real investigative work. And the thing about real investigative work is that it's boring. It takes a long <laughs> fucking time. You know, the case doesn't get solved at the end of the one hour episode. Right. And that's what people want. They want. And that's what social media provides is that that exactly social media provides that emotional and even some of the best, most disciplined reporters that I know that I follow on Twitter are just as capable of, you know, flying off the handle on Twitter And saying or doing things that, that so would kind of go to, against it's so those. easy to do. Oh, that of course, now. absolutely. To have that knee jerk reaction, hundred um, percent. That there is. I mean, what do you see? The shift needs to happen because it, there's an obvious void of reality in most journalism that we see that we consume, right? right? And not that's not saying that you know there aren't good journalists. There obviously is uh, that are people that stick to a code of ethics and report I, I, I would say like almost more and better in this era than ever before in terms of like journalistic integrity mm-hmm. but up against a distribution machine yeah. that has a built-in sort of filtration manipulation process or maybe I'm just a conspiracy well, guy. well no because you see this is a perfect example they, they just uh maybe it was uh, the EPA or just some environmental protection agency of some sort. That would be the EPA? Of some sort. Of it some could have sort. been, okay. yeah, it could have been something else having to do with a, it might have been the health organization, World Health Organization. Um, they released the numbers for cruise ships and how much pollution they release. Oh, on yeah. a day, mm. And so a cruise ship, one cruise ship for a day of running, it, it will release the same, uh, exhaust or emissions is a million cars and you can do the math and you're like a fuck like they reported this as like actual findings of particulates that they measured in the cruise ship association or whatever maybe it was just one individual just came out and went nope fake news that's not real and overwrote what was essentially good like information that we should actually be concerned with and, right. and really question like how are they operating? Like, now, wait, wait, what wait, wait, are wait. the fucking rules? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Are you telling me that <laughs> cruise ships are responsible for climate change? <laughs> but this is an example of the kind of exponential thing that I'm talking yeah. about, right? Like, so we looked at, in Killing the Messenger, we looked at impunity, really. Mm-hmm. That was the, the key to it, was the idea that, you know, if a government or, or a state actor or, or even a corporate actor feels that they can get away with something sure censoring a journalist uh-huh. they're going to do it yeah right but 
what's changed is that that used to mean physically intimidating, you know, something that, that actually had a certain amount of risk to the crime. So it was even more shocking that they got away with it, that there was enough of a culture of impunity that they could kidnap or beat up or kill or torture or otherwise right. disappear a journalist, right? But now all they have to do is put legal pressure on him and, mm. or lie and say, like, he's a liar or that's not true or that's fake news. Right, right. The fake news thing is kind of amazing because it's like a, it's such a short sentence. Yeah. But it immediately cast out. I don't believe it is an actual sentence. No, it's not. If you, it's a phrase. Think, think right. about, yeah, if you yeah. look at strunk and white, it ain't a yeah, fucking yeah. sentence. It's just a phrase, but it could be used in a sentence, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, but it could, something yeah. I anyway. saw recently talked about, like, what if Watergate happened now? It'd be a different conclusion. Like Possibly. Nixon, yeah, I mean. Oh, yeah. Nixon would have gotten Nixon laid. Would Nixon be impeached? No. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Not, oh. not in today's environment. No. Well, I did. I did not speak those words on that tape. I am not a crook. Oh, he did try that, basically. Yeah. Or whatever. Right, right. No, those aren't air quotes. Those are I know, peace signs or, or the whatever same it was. Yeah. Uh, but dude, well, like, when, when, not so joking. When, when not the joking. Nick- this is serious. When I read that Roger Stone has a Nixon tattoo on his back, I had to look. I, I thought it was an Onion article. I literally was like... No, I can't be Roger right. Stone is an Onion article, basically. But the unfortunate <laughs> thing is yeah, that he's but for that real. is a fact. He actually has Nixon tattooed on his back. Yeah. And he's actually quite jacked for an old guy. Uh, but this is like he just didn't want that tattooed to droop. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna bu- I'm gonna butcher this, but <laughs> something I I just heard within the last couple of days uh, when the when the tapes when the Nixon tapes like when they had to be released. Um, They'd actually the 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 Nixon administration proposed that a Democratic senator who is known to be hard of hearing should be the one to listen to the tapes and then sort of hmm. okay, this is what I heard. Interpret the information. Interpret the information. And they're like, Yeah, no. If that had happened like now in the era Yeah. But I'm not sure. Okay. But, I mean, but nobody would. Uh, 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 I wonder what would happen. I, and uh, and I would have to just refer to one of my. Uh, there was a period in my life when one of the records I listened to over and over again, an actual LP, where you had to like put the needle on the thing, was an album called The Watergate Comedy Hour, <laughs> where they just <laughs> made fun of all of the happenings and the testimony and the obviously the, the impersonations of the various voices. Well, first of all, who puts the tape vertically? Good point. <laughs> well, so... Or should uh, have, rather. One of the phenomenal things that I hear, like, yeah. so you when you started this process, especially on this topic, you had an idea of what you thought, which is the bias that every single human being has about any subject that they even know of, unless they are the most humble sort, and, and we're not that. No, no one in this room is. We, we generally have conceptualized categories. So you had an idea, and then going through this process, you changed your mind on basically what the subject was? Well, I mean, look, I think in any documentary, there's the documentary you set out to make, there's the documentary you shoot, and there's the documentary you edit and show people. Mm-hmm. So it changes. Right. But with Killing the Messenger, our intention really was to say, this kind of violent censorship is happening. 
around the world. Freedom of speech, freedom of the press is precious. We're starting to lose sight of that as a as a culture globally. Yeah. And maybe as a culture here in America. Oh, you saw it in El Paso. Kind of saying like, this could happen here. And then guess what? It is happening here. And it has, it it always was on a much smaller scale. But now you've got, you know, I think the United States was in the top 10 for journalists murdered for their work last year. So that's unprecedented. Right. Maybe unprecedented too, but... (laughs) Snap! Snap. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I mean, um, it, it is uh, it is being shouted from the high, like uh, of an authoritative level of disrespecting the media, the news outlets, journalism. Like otherwise, like why else would a BBC reporter be assaulted at a presidential rally right. in El Paso? Like that, that doesn't make much. And it's not that not to sound completely biased, like oh, but there is some kind of counter um, strategy being used on journalism because it is such a powerful force against his presidency. So you can kind of see it like he has this insepid way of um, especially using verbiage. I mean, he did, like Ooh. it's crooked Hillary. Huh. Insipid or insidious? Which did you Ooh. mean? I think it's probably insidious. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, th- I am not so silently correcting your grammar. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I would rather it not. But he does have this way of, of, of putting a pretense to give like the answer to the, yeah. the audience. And, Let and, me color yeah. the actual response in a way that sort of makes it easy, you know, uh, makes it possible to interpret it in a right. different way. Because now it's just the fake news, which is a complete sentence. Yeah. So sweet. <laughs> it's it's this and that way it's already it's been taken apart. Yeah. For for and this clever strategy is working for, now companies use this strategy to, you know, disregard regulation or disregard scrutiny from the public. And it's almost like there's just too much noise for people to pay attention to. So you can almost get away with anything unless you do blackface. Then you're fucked. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> okay, pause for laughter. Uh, <clears throat> back to, oh, I'm kind of curious, Eric, about, uh, so Killing the Messenger came out three years ago. Or yeah, two. Three or four. Yeah. Okay, three or four. Um, had some recent events in Turkey uh, been included <laughs> in this would that so had that happened during the time making of this documentary being an example that was very upfront in the media very like would that have sort of influenced the outcome of the work or was the like would it have like i i, I almost feel like up until th- you know this year let's just say 2018 um that the idea the the, the concept of journalists at risk yeah you go to a combat zone you get shot you know yeah it's totally no like it wasn't something in the public consciousness almost Hmm. like that you were making a documentary that people weren't necessarily and i'm not it's not a it's not a critique but but making a documentary that that was that is important absolutely important and yet most people weren't tuned into the subject until 
after the documentary got made. And I'm not, and it's just a question, it's a question huh. of timing, but, and I'm not quite sure where I'm headed with the question, but just the, the idea, like, I feel like, okay, if that was like the, you know, the third act or whatever uh, of the, of the documentary, then, then maybe people would listen more than would go like, Oh fuck, there's actually a historical precedent for this. Like this has been going on and here are these other examples now this one is just in everyone's face and they're forced to look at it. Whereas before it was super easy to hide. Right. Well, I, I mean the Khashoggi case is it's like taking the, the idea of impunity to some whole other oh, level. level, but, yeah. but there, the, 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 there were cases. So while we were, while we were making the film, um, Marie Colvin and Remy were killed. Uh, targeted strike now proven in Syria. I mean, in uh, yeah, in Syria, um, in Homs, um, <clears throat> they traced their cell phones, you know, and they they put a basically a howitzer round through the building, killed them. Um, so those are, I mean, she particularly was a pretty major figure that people were familiar with and knew that didn't really make a lot of difference, right? Um, Austin Tice got kidnapped. Foley and Cantley got kidnapped. Um, those were stories, and there are other American and British and European journalists that were being kidnapped throughout the period of time that we were making Killing the Messenger. We were privy to that information off the record. We honored the blackout of not talking about it. Um, Killing the Messenger was bought broadcast festivals all of that and while it was on its kind of broadcast tour run um james was beheaded suddenly people were super aware of who he was and what that story was and what was going on we were asked to put that story to re-edit the film we said it's a different story we'll make a movie about kidnapping Still not sure if that was a good idea, okay. but we did. <laughs> so we went out and made that movie. But my point is that like, I think there have been plenty of opportunity for people to look at familiar figures or, or even if they didn't necessarily know those reporters, right? Tim Hetherington would be another yeah. great example. Um, you know, Chris Hondros, like people knew who those guys were. Um, it didn't really move the needle on people kind of rallying around an idea of, of journalistic safety or the, the value of It journalists. almost doesn't feel like the Khashoggi situation has moved the needle. No, I agree. And it's, and it's just like, cause, oh, it's not, you know, but what is it going to take? Well, this is why we, we called the, <laughs> this, the, the, the follow-up film we called End of Truth because we really saw that that by essentially sending the what we viewed as the signal that these guys' lives, these people's lives, men and women, really weren't worth the kind of effort that you know people put their cinematic sort of Hollywoodized vision on it. Like we all know, like you're not just going to send a team in to get those guys out. Yeah. That's a whole other thing, but 
that almost no effort was made, that through our investigation, what we learned was that the effort that was made was super botched and bungled and handed off to to third-party contractors and actors that may have had other nefarious... They had a chance. They could have found them, you know, and they didn't. So, you know, that sort I of... Am, my stomach is... Like that shows the people that showed the, 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 like the public then goes like, well, why do we value these? You know, they, they deserved it. They went over, they went to a war zone. They deserved what they got. You know, you said it earlier, like people go to war zones and get shot. Yeah. That's what happens. So it diminished the value of the role of the people practicing journalism. So there, so there are people who are practicing journalism but also, but almost as free agents with no support, no network, like nothing to. Well, those guys something, certainly. Yeah. If something goes bad, there's no nine one one. There's no one to call because they won't come. And if they do, they're going to send fucking Blackwater losers, um, you know, private contractors who are going to fuck it up anyway because their last job was like I was security at McDonald's. Well, they're not even that. They're what they are. They're like their ex whoever that are working for an insurance company. Right. And the insurance company is actually, you know, some people would argue that the insurance company benefits from the case not being solved quickly. Right. Because they're on retainer. Okay. It's not like, hey, my son got kidnapped. Here's your thousand dollar fee. Yeah. It's like there's an hourly, there's expenses, there's a day rate. What's the what's the value in solving it fast? You know, now that's that's putting a lot of moral baggage on people who I think had really good intentions to try to solve these these crimes. Maybe but, but I, th- I think that like if we break things down to actually like this, you could make a case that bad incentives are a problem through multiple different categories. Sure, like I mean, there's bad incentives for healthcare. There's bad incentives for insurance. There's bad incentives for you know pharmacology there's bad incentives for obviously ransom and journalism and this is something like uh, i looked at even if you're looking at like oh i want a job and they're going to pay me ten dollars an hour why the fuck would i work faster i get paid more to take longer like that's a bad incentive but it's one that when you run it out logically down the line people are affected and their their safety is affected this is some one of the things that we have to remap and maybe that's like one of the bigger subjects is like the infrastructure for incentivizing a thing should probably be more well thought out i think because i see this as you you explain that i go yeah of course it's a bad incentive like a lot of things could probably be not necessarily solved because you're not going to stop war and people dying but you are going to solve some things by rearranging the structure of why things happen just like if we take the clickbait problem and we rearrange it so that journalism happens because of x or they're able to monetize because of x and not because of what is now essentially popularity contest then you rearrange what the news actually looks like right like we take the entertainment out of our news sources and they're i don't know how that happens but we're essentially talking when we're talking about fitness, we're talking about bad incentives. Like almost, there's almost always, almost always. Sure. Right. But I mean, I think in the case of like the, the greater context of, of journalism and journalists and the threats that they face, 
I think that you know kidnapping is a very specific crime that has a very specific set of um, approaches to the solution, mm -hmm. which includes not publicizing, not talking about mm -hmm. it, media blackouts. That's why you know, did you know that there was a guy that had been held in Yemen for 179 days? No, but, but now you do because he just got that? out the other day, um, and he got out because we allowed the Saudis. We don't pay ransom, right? But you know. A but, bunch of jeeps might have gotten delivered to some country that does. So, so what is the like? What is the the thought process behind the blackout and not jeeps. talking about it? Because this is that's this, a that's a I, mix up of, a, of another story. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm not in I'm this just case. But chuckling, like yeah. it's a euphemism for we gave them what they wanted in order to do what what we, we needed to, what we what <laughs> yeah. we needed to do but couldn't because yeah. of certain policies. I mean the mechanics of like of a kidnapping case are very different than the mechanics of like uh you know someone being invited to an embassy and and not sure. showing out in one piece. But, but this is <laughs> literally the what I don't get is like okay there's a policy for this blackout to not talk about it to not sensationalize it because it is very serious. But then we do the exact opposite for mass shootings and we almost memorialize mm. these people. We do like, and that's a journalistic problem. Like they always have three names. They always have like, we have grim details on their dark life and all. We celebritize mass shootings, but we don't celebritize. Wait, you mean we know what size black overcoat he was wearing? Yeah, <laughs> Stuff like that. And then when a journalist gets kidnapped, we do the exact opposite like that. Like it seems like there's no one at the helm of these policies. That this is like a ridiculous. It, the, if you mm. flip flop them, bring attention to the people that are being held ransom, and then it's a blackout on people that cause these mass murders because it's for attention purposes or mental health purposes or whatever. And we black those out, and only the people involved need to know. Only the victims are are, are have the right to know who victimized them. Yeah, I think there's a little of that. But I also, I mean, look, like the, the Tices are, are loudly amplifying the case of their son. They, they have reason to believe that he's still alive. Yeah. Um, but I don't think people pick up on that necessarily. I do because I pay attention sure. to it, you know. But, um, you know, in Austin, he's been held the longest. It's kind of amazing if he's still alive. Like he's right. he's over... I want to say over, definitely over a thousand days. Whoa. And probably can significantly more than that, but I don't want to misquote it. Huh. So. I, I don't know how you, in that situation you can <laughs> maintain hope, but this is a human thing. It's a human yeah, condition, yeah. you know, in a way like that's what, that's how we play. And like, and ultimately we just want to know. Well, yeah, you know, some of the like, some of the people that that we got to talk to, um, who did get out, they don't talk about hope. They talk about having faith in little incremental things. Hope's tricky, right? Because no, hope, hope's tricky. Hope is from afar. Yeah, it's not in the moment. What also it, right? It, like it, it never. You it, never. It, you never get like hope. Hope is kind of implying that there's that it's always coming. <laughs> it's like. It's in the future somewhere. Yeah. Faith is more like you own it a little bit in your own way. 
if you're the person who's sitting, you know, in a dark room. Right. <laughs> yes. Hope I see from, okay. So we're talking about a point of view thing. Cause I, yeah. I, when I say hope is from far away, it's a perspective thing. It's like, Oh, yeah, that's yeah. across an ocean. It's a different country. I can't even pronounce the name. I don't know the language. It's that. And, and you hope that that individual is still alive and you are acting upon that basis. Whereas I think, yeah, faith is quite a bit more immediate. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, just semantic thing that I don't want to yeah. muddy the conversation with. And I apologize. But. No, I don't think it is at all. I mean, it's a tricky conversation to have. I don't, you know, we, we learned as much as we could and made the films that we made. And I'm certainly not an expert in any of it, but, um, but closer than any of us to like understanding. Cause, and, and, and to me, I, I, I look at that because there's a, you know, sometimes I, think okay i've been in not shit i mean nothing you know the, the tajikistan total military curfew for a certain amount of time because of some islamist you know uh agitators let's say or we were in pakistan in 88 i think like th two or three days after we flew out was when the plane that the senator was on got shot down mm. and that kind of thing so in these kind of situations or and at that time we were in there was a conflict um that didn't allow us to go pursue our recreational ambition in a certain part of the country because there were some folks, um, some Shiites and some Sunnis arguing over somebody who may have ended a fast earlier than they should have. And so, you know, we got held back in Islamabad for 10 days. Um, doesn't seem like a lot, but, you know, some other friends of ours were, you know, on a bus all, you know, going up the road to K2 when that bus got commandeered by some folks and you need to go fight some other folks and this and that. So I see these things and I just, uh, they are not, and the truth of them, you know, I'm not, uh, I, when they are written about or broadcast or you know whatever presented in the news there's it, it it's it's not chinese whispers is that is that racist <laughs> i mean i need to know cuz i don't want to get any backlash anyway i'm joking there but you know but there is this kind of thing is like information is at, at, at the juncture of each sort of turn in the transmission, let's say there is some influence mm -hmm. on it that because when we're sitting in Pakistan and in the talking with, you know, going you know, to, to our, to our representatives at the, you know, the mountaineering association who are talking about like, you know, we can't let you go up there right now because there's a, this argument going on and there's like been nine or 10 people killed. And then we go to the Canadian embassy um, because those happen to be with three Canadians on that trip. And they go, well, no, there's like a thousand motherfuckers dead up there right now. And it's an argument over a fucking Mars bar, essentially, mm. you know, one hour before the, you know, whatever it was, you know, like seemingly insignificant Sorry. and I'm blaspheming about, you know, whatever the, that particular religion, but, um, but it, it started brooding this major conflict. But it, but so up the road, there's a thousand dead. Down the road, a few miles, of, you know, with the journalists and sent out into the world, it's ten, and it's a and it's a you know it's a heated disagreement as opposed to a full on fucking slaughter. And then what happens when it gets a little bit further? And and 
looking at this kind of stuff, like I, I feel like the way that, I I mean, yeah, if you're never going to leave, you know, if you're, uh, 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 I'm just going to say it because Americans don't travel. Um, if you're, you know, you're in your home state, you're in your hometown, you never fucking leave. You don't need to know what the what is going on outside in the world. It doesn't fucking matter. And, but if you're someone who travels, who has a relationship on an international level, I want to know the fucking truth when I go. Like when we, before we went to go on the nice rise of an empire job, right? Like. Like I wanted to know as much as I possibly could about Bulgaria. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mostly, mostly like, what weapons can I take? How am I going to look after myself when I'm there? Because you know, personal security is a thing for me. And but so, so I want to know what's the political climate? What's the you know what's what is the relationship with th- those people to people that you know happen to carry the same passport that I carry? What's going to happen right. when I go out on my own? Do I need to have a guide? Do I need to have an interpreter? All this stuff I can't find that information in an unbiased sort of way, right? Necessary, like so I have to be really suspicious about everything I read. I have to be, and it's sort of been a habit, especially you know coming you know starting with going to these other going to i mean nepal yeah it's totally safe and it's fine but you know going to china going to you know so yeah i wanted to go climb in peru wanted to go climbing in peru in the 1980s it wasn't a thing i was not down with the shining path so i decided i chose not to go there but i could but at least about that i could find out accurate information that said yeah if you're a westerner yeah there was austrian climbers yeah they went and then they uh, didn't leave because they got kidnapped and they got killed and blah, blah, blah. So well, I'm not going to go there. So I have accurate information. But what I realize now with a lot of journalism coming out of places that I might want to go visit in some way, it's like I want to be able to make it a, a, like a rational decision mm. in some way and not something influenced. And this is something that Brittany Griffith came, you know, she went to um, in 2018. They went on a climbing trip to Iran. Like when it all sort of teed off and the, sh- you know, shit between the U S and Iran was like, you know, not great. And, and if you listen to CNN, if you listen to, you took all your information from Fox news, if you <clears throat> didn't like actually put per, try and pursue personal relationships that you might be able to develop to get information, then she would never have gone. She's just like, I don't, I, and she came back and she said it was the most, one of the most incredible and emotionally touching and transformative trips that she had ever taken in her climbing career and and she said it but i would never have gone if i had trusted the news but like like you and Brittany and like you're intelligent you're curious you're questioning you're not the average person i don't know where i'm going with that comment but (laughs) and you're you're bringing you're bringing other experiences to bear on the situation too you wouldn't even be thinking about going this well probably wouldn't be thinking about going if you hadn't already been following a a path of certain level you you guys aren't aren't herd followers either right like sure and and, but and all i was saying it's like yeah my experience has been different but But that's how always, can, I think that's always we, been the case, though, with 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 information that's available, and then how an individual takes that information and then decides for themselves. It's always been that way, and and if you question things, if you're you know just don't take take things at face value, which nobody in this room does, 
Right. Like you're going to come to a different conclusion, a different outcome, a different path. I'm sorry. Let me just interject. Except for that ass on Instagram. I take that at face value. <laughs> that is shit is real. <laughs> There's a, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I had to, it was getting too heavy. Then. I had to yeah, break the series. Like, I do. Have, you mentioned early on, Eric, that you research for about a year. Yeah, I know. Is that, I mean, because people, <laughs> is that how in depth it is that process? Like when you decided, okay, this is the subject, where are you going to figure this stuff out? Because logically, you're making essentially a news report about news reporting. Right. Like it's a meta analysis of what's going on. So, who do you trust when you try to embark on a, a story like this? Well, we wanted character and we wanted a narrative that that was relatable and we didn't want to make a catalog mm. right i mean i think that year we studied maybe like 190 to 200 different cases of various forms of violent censorship around the world right mm. so that would have been a pretty overwhelming movie to try to touch on all of those things um Right, too much. Nobody it was too much. Anything, right. I think the process, which mostly fell on Trisha because I was, I can't remember what movie we were working on, but I was off working. Um, you know, like that, there was like a PTSD factor to the fact that, you know, she yeah. was like literally sitting in our edit room watching videos of people getting shot and reading stories and accounts. But eventually we narrowed it down to this idea of impunity, the three, what we saw as the three pillars of impunity. Um, which were conflict, crime, and corruption. And then that helped kind of find the stories that, that we wanted to tell. And then it became a matter of getting in touch with the right people to tell the story. And yeah, there's a certain amount of vetting, like making sure that it's not a false lead or you know, that someone's not. And, and I'll say you know, today, like what we, we made some choices that I would not have made knowing what I know now but like, for example, at the time, the difference between buying um, stock footage from some, some of the more known major news outlets mm -hmm. was, was very cost prohibitive. There was an alternative, which was free, but, and at the time, like we did it and it's mm -hmm. in the film, but we have a bunch of footage from RT. Mm -hmm. We have a bunch of footage from Russia Today in there, which I like, I would which I think discredits our work to a certain degree because now everybody knows and sees them as a propaganda arm of the sure. Kremlin. So, you know, and we were a little bit aware, of course, sure. that, like that they weren't exactly, <clears throat> it'd be like getting footage from any major news outlet. They've got, they've got money behind. Well, there's a little somewhere. bit of irony that you're doing a documentary on journalists getting <laughs> violenced against. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they had good coverage of it. Yeah. Because, <laughs> Because they were there. They were there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. No, that's <laughs> too soon. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know if that answers your question necessarily. No, but, it does. It but, does. Like you know. uh, I'm just uh, because I I was one. Like obviously try to go to big good sources. Like you know. But then, but then, how do you identify? Like this is was the curious thing when we were you you had mentioned that you were working had been working on this project, and I'm just like. Fuck, they're all complicit. Who do you talk to? Yeah. I mean, and that's yeah. my cynical sort of thing in, in a way. And then how do you protect yourself when you're going to talk to them? 
Well, end of truth was harder in that regard, I think, on all levels because it was there was a there's a lot of reluctance to talk to us. There were a lot of active cases. We never could get the government side. They're never interested in talking. Um, not in not in. I mean, we did actually end up getting an interview with a with a um, congressman, but it it wasn't. It helped, but it wasn't what we were really after. You know. Yeah that that would have been a time to. I mean, I don't know, you know, some of these situations where, I mean, obviously, you know, when, when you, okay, there's a, there's a, let's just say there's a journalist camp situation and it needs to be resolved and the U.S. understands and you resolve it, but they, they're like, oh, we can't send U.S. government assets, so we're gonna outsource. Right. We outsource right. some of our work, you know, I mean, to keep people safe, including ourselves. Yeah. Right? There were people in Russia that we knew if we showed up, we'd be drawing attention to them that would be unwanted. For, for them. For them, putting them at risk. We didn't speak the language or, you know, know yeah. the lay of the land. And we had access to, um, you know, some of our contacts who were local journalists who could do the work for us. So we like almost literally Skyped it in. You know, we had a crew there that was doing the interview and we were kind of monitoring from the comfort of wherever we were at the time. The comfort of not Russia. But that came from, you know, there's a thing that you do in in safe practice, which has become a bigger initiative in journalism. Um, Now that the... Any any news outlet, if if someone even if someone just as a freelancer is like, hey, I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm I'm going to wherever. Yeah, um, they'll make you do what's called a risk assessment, and it's a multi-page, and it's a really sobering thing. We did it before we went to Turkey, and it was like, it really makes you go like, well, why are we going? What are we? Why are we really doing this? You know. Mm. Um, so things like that, sort of build up a certain level of situational awareness and preparedness. Um, and it includes things like, you know, not only are you taking personal risk, where are you putting other people at risk unnecessarily? Yeah. So, and that was a big part of it. That's you know, a huge like, thing. Like that's something people you're interviewing or. Yeah. Or like the local camera things. guy that yeah. we might be working with or the fixer or any, you know, whatever, whoever in that regard. Yeah. And most people would go into those situations with, you know, 100% self-interest and no percentage points given to right anybody else, which right. is remarkable. Well, and you do it a few times, like, you know, you know, you, I've heard you say it on this, on this podcast, like it's not climbing the mountain that's going to get you in trouble and kill you. It's coming back down, yeah. right? It's all the dumb little things or it's. You know, where you drop your guard driving right? the road from Serrata back to La Paz. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're got a way bigger chance of getting killed on that road than you do climbing any of the peaks yeah. that you're going to. Yeah. I mean, until I started doing this kind of stuff, I, you know, people would say, what's the most dangerous thing you've done? And I say, getting in a 15 passenger van at the end of a shoot day with the PA that's been up for 21 hours <laughs> at know, the wheel. Got a, yeah. At yeah. the wheel. Like, you know, it- <laughs> <laughs> which is totally seemingly innocuous at the time because everyone's fucking tired. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're just like, oh yeah, this is just the bus that goes back to the place where I get to sleep. Please just. Yeah. Get us. Just, there. Just I've been away. the guy that's climbed over the other seven 
benches to grab the wheel. So, <laughs> so after all this, the subject matter is pretty dense and similar. Are you trying to run with this theme to create other documentaries in the future that kind of mm. lead off this theme, or are you going to go a different direction? I think. I mean, we've already been kind of playing with with going in some different directions. I think. Um, I'm still interested in that space and I'll still uh, participate and contribute where I can and mm -hmm. in some of the safe practice stuff and some of the, the seminars and, um, you know, speaking opportunities that I've done. There is a third film. I think if we looked at it as a trilogy, mm -hmm. there is a third film about, um, about censorship in America. Mm -hmm. And, and I would in, probably include in that the trajectory of, you know, of yellow journalism or, yeah. or like the, the, the propaganda papers of mm -hmm. the 1600s and 1700s kind of thing. But I don't, it's a pretty distant horizon of like, maybe I'll do that. And someday. that's some serious mm -hmm. shit to unravel. Yeah. So I don't know how, cause the know. ethics didn't really come in until this century, right? Like historically we didn't really have journalistic ethics until the thirties or forties. They certainly weren't around in the, in the yeah. 1700s oh for sure yeah uh, well i mean you, you can see the propaganda come on like and it was appropriate you're trying to rile people up against the uh, I mean, monarchy you look and at people across the ocean and they're trying to tell us what to do and i mean any company in, any a, in the early really 20th century had access to pay off to get whatever story i mean the whole uh, hemp paper fucking thing was a journalistic hmm. nightmare and that was not that long ago Right, so like I'm, I'm trying. I don't know when. I was just. I, I think it's like it's only like 50 years old that we've been like journalists should have like some kind of ethics, code of ethics. Yeah, yeah. and even if we look at medical ethics as like a similar thing, well, fuck, we're shocking people to <laughs> and make them you know, lobotomizing them yeah. 20 years ago or 30 years ago or something. What was 80? 80 was the last year that we did lobotomies, or was it even sooner? Than that? Something fucking retarded, like. In that sense, like we're literally retarding people's mental health by chopping a part of their brain out and going like, oh, I'm a doctor. I do this thing. Hmm. 30 years ago, if I can get that right. It, Somebody can call me if that's wrong. Yeah, but, it'll, be, it'll be in the notes. <laughs> it's in or, the show notes. No, but, it'll be in the comments. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to. I mean, it, it's, an, it's a I, fascinating uh, uh, subject. Okay, so no, this is actually, let me just, <laughs> just, can we just stop here and kind of focus gently on the idea of journalistic integrity of the, of of like a neutral voice in a way mm. and how many fucking people in this day and age have any <clears throat> idea that that's mm. wasn't a thing at one time and then it became a thing and now it's less of a thing mm. it it boggles my mind sometimes that that uh like there's a part, there's a lazy part of me that wants to just take it all as it you know uh, oh I'm going to CNN of course it's true <laughs> like okay that's an obvious joke sure but which, if you you could but, do it but, on both but sides but let's right? just say 10 years ago no one was joking about that cnn was serious yeah they were like okay maybe it was 15 maybe it was 20 i don't know but at some point it was considered the more serious news network than my local affiliate than abc nbc cbs Right, yeah. which was the other sources that yeah. we would get news from, um, unless you read, and then 
Dear God. Dear God. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, but, okay, so, but then you had the New York Times or something that, that, okay, there was the more serious one than the, yeah, okay, I could read my Seattle Post-Intelligencer or whatever. And I was just like, oh, Post-Intelligence? That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> is that Joe Holmes? You live in the Pacific Northwest. Is that newspaper out of fucking business? I believe the PI is no longer in business. Okay. So, because they were Post-Intelligence. But yeah. anyway. um as they got destroyed by a venture capital takeover, I think. Uh, sorry, Ansel Payne, who used to run that shop, but or maybe it was anyway. Uh, <laughs> it, so, so there was a time when it was just like, okay, this is the serious news organ. Okay, I'm like, take it seriously. So I'm going to pay attention to this one, and then, and now I think, as Michael said early on, it's like, okay, n- n- you know, news is entertainment. Well, there's such a proliferation like, of things also. Like you were referencing the time when it was <clears> like, you know, Cronkite, Morrow, Rather. Alex right? Jones. Wait. <laughs> Sorry. Wait. Yeah, he was you know, a little bit later. I don't think that there wasn't all these various things that we can scroll and... and so. Oh, Okay, uh, you know, Bloomberg, so, BBC, so, CNN, MSNBC. Hang on, let's let's just let me do a thing here because we got to shut it down, and because oh. we just hit three hours. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying we got to shut it down for, for, for that reason. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying that, like, hey, we're into it right now. But um, so we all have some kind of ha- morning habit. I'm guessing. Yeah, butter that, coffee. D- duh. Uh, well. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. It puts the butter in the coffee. Exactly. Thank you, Mr. Kotler, for that one. Because <laughs> I cannot stop thinking about it. Even if I eat macadamia nuts while I'm drinking my coffee, I hear Stephen Kotler's voice in my head. It puts the butter in the coffee. Anyway. Um, <laughs> which was episode whatever. It was amazing. Go back and listen to it. It's the secret um, to stealing fire. No shit. No, it's the secret to being Superman. Hmm. He he's 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 just written this uh, uh, a fiction book. Oh, really? A novel? Yeah. Ooh. Uh, last night in Last Tango in Cyberspace, I think it's called. Uh, I I mean, I just I, the package arrived. I opened it up and I was just like, for the title alone, I was like, Stephen, you're the fucking man. <laughs> this is beautiful. Anyway, um, so we so I have a habit in the morning of you know so when I'm you know sort of waking up drinking my coffee, I have certain news air quotes mm. being made mm. websites that I go to. I know what my pattern is. Mm. Michael, do you have one? Do you, do, do you do that thing or I do not? I, okay. But I try to do it as unbiased as possible that, which might be biased, but I'll take, <laughs> I'll take Twitter newsfeed. Okay. That's not me curating news. And I'll look at what comes up as top stories and whoever does it, I'll check over the sources. If it's Reuters or BBC, it's usually, okay if it starts going cnn or fox i know it's like well this is going to change in an hour or i'll take even (laughs) apple news and just look at what whatever the top is okay and just see if there's interesting stuff and if there is and i think that it is like a story we're looking into then i'll actually try to find a opposite take on it nice joe holmes i've been an apple news guy lately yeah it's been pretty good it's pretty balanced i mean from what i can tell it, it's it just de- Fox de- News on there it way too on, much, but it, it depends on if I'm at my own kitchen table or or 
upstairs in my uh, Salt Lake City <clears throat> yeah. apartment. That, I, I, I don't try to. <laughs> here's what here's what bothers me. Here's what bothers me about trying like not curating news. So I don't follow any news or journalism per se um, because that I think is a trap. What really bothers me more than anything is that. There's like a headline and it'll be like, you know, 21 die in tragic thing. And it's a little blip and, you know, you can click on that. And then one after is like, look what she wore to the Oscars. And it's like, this is not fucking news. Like, why is this in the same page? This should have nothing to do with it. Mm. And that that really bothers me more than anything. Because I think it, that we're back to that incentive problem. Like, if, we, if you try to break down, I mean, why, why are doctors ethical? essentially it's a monetary thing for them. They have to be like they fuck up a surgery. Someone dies, they get sued. The malpractice is through the roof. Like that, that's the bottom line. Like insurance for doctors is, is so heavy that they have to do things by a code and stick to that code. It's not out of the goodness of their heart. It's there's a, it's a Hippocratic oath. Exactly. But, but that's, it, it comes down to monetary gain. So where I think, you have to find I think it's also a little bit self-preservation sure yeah. like if I want to sure. keep doing good work keep making this money space, <laughs> I, or keep, look I have the capacity I, went, I mean I'm just going to take Selena's side yeah. on this mm-hmm. she's not here but like went to school for 12 fucking years yeah like I want to continue and I have the skill to help people sure and I know for a fact that the motivation is not money for her. I mean, yeah, you, you got to pay the bills. You got to go. Everybody, everyone sure. has to go to the bank. Okay. You could, you could, you, you could put financial gain, you know, it's somewhere in anybody's motivation profile. Absolutely. Except ours, because we don't make money and we haven't paid, <laughs> us, we haven't paid ourselves since we started this thing. And was it August of 2017? No? I don't want to think about it. Okay. So I have no it, ethics apparently. It, apparently, entirely self-financed. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, but but I think there's the, there's that piece of it too. Yeah, you don't want to. Yeah, there's this malpractice stuff, and you and, and and it's and it may be motivated for for some at a certain point by money. But I think there's a certain idealistic period for sure. Where look, I want to keep doing good, so therefore I need to do right. It, there, there for sure could be, and I don't want to, it's not to sound like this whole thing, that the free mark is the only reason anybody doesn't, because that's obviously not true. But when you're looking at acting a certain way, whether it's self-preservation or, you know, an invest, like it could just be a sunk cost fallacy where you're just, well, I put 12 years into this thing. I don't want to lose it because I drink on the job and then I get yeah. my medical license revoked. That That is as much as a monetary incentive as, you know, sure. wanting okay. to make money on the surgery or whatever the, the thing is. Not to say that it is all like green-eyed with, you know, greed. The Where I look at the journalistic problem, and somebody could educate me on this probably, but there is not a way to decipher ethics for the right incentive. Like we are essentially why did why are journalists journalists like why are they they want to okay maybe it's not a monetary thing and they really want to do good and uncover evil in the world and you know do the you know bring down the big man that's causing you know problems for people 
that that could very well be. Uh, I think that's a genuine reason to do that work. And yeah, I, I think so. That's, there it is. The doing the doing good by doing, doing right. But it has to be supported. In which case, yeah. you have editors that change your titles just to get clicks, and you have. Uh, I mean, but there's a financial incentive in that. In a, in a, in a way, like, oh, I just put this. I mean, I'm, so I'm going to make shit I'm up going now, is, so I'll stop. One of the reasons to have a government is to protect people. Like that is the one incurring thing is to protect against foreign forces and, you know, inside invaders or whatever you want to call it. And health and education are part of that too because that's protecting people against themselves, essentially. One of the weird problems that you think about is the, the journalists are actually doing the opposite. They're supposed to hold the government accountable accountable Speak for their actions. Therefore, the government can't be in control of the media. Whoa, Therefore, Time out, Michael. Yeah. Louder, please, Eric. Speak truth to power. There we go. Please continue, Michael. Yeah. So <laughs> you reach this contradictory nature of the business of journalism because the one good thing that a government could do is use journalism as a publicly funded source of information so people could be informed and mentally healthier about the world around them. But they can't because the one source that they need to report on is the government that would fund them. So you're Pravda. reaching this contradictory nature. <laughs> and so you have to figure out how to fund it without having any ties to it. That's such a 70s reference, Joe. <laughs> what? <laughs> what was your... Pravda. 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 Mm. <laughs> I mean, there, but, there's but, independent but, press. I mean, there are sure, independent sure. You know, sources of news and there are independent journalists. Visited by but are they less than enough? 20% of right. the U.S. population. Yeah. I'm guessing. I'm just making Probably. that up. Sure. And this is the, yeah. this is the platform. Pro. Like, this is... What, Fox News has, like, for their morning... Fox and Friends has, like, 10 million viewers a morning. That's insanity that there's that many old people that don't know any better. <laughs> I just like, I, I mean, because who really? They're not old people. They're voters, no matter what their age. And that's an issue for me. And it's like, oh, yeah, if that's where you're getting, like, if you're voting on issues based on the shit that you see through one single tube that's aimed at your face. Then... I think it's always been that way, though. It's always oh, been yeah. that way. It's just okay. easier to get that now than what it was back then well so there've it, always been the mindless masses that can be easily manipulated okay so I'll play devil's advocate would it be better if Hillary Clinton was president like do yeah we, I'm gonna say yeah do we really I'm believe gonna go out on shift? a limb and I'm gonna say okay yeah. but and then in what regard like to hold up the Clinton dynasty or like, what actually... Oh, she's a way better politician and representative from the political stance of, like, world... Like, a world relationship, for sure. She's not going to fuck that up because that is her demeanor. But in the end, you're looking at the same problem. Like, it's just... And this is where you go, like, okay, the What's voting the thing. the same problem? A plate of brown shit versus plate of yellow uh, shit. It's all funded by the same lobbying companies. Like all of it is incentivized by the same companies that have special interest groups that decide for us what our voting patterns should be and who we should want and what subjects we should think about. Trans bathrooms are not a fucking thing we should be worried about. 
That's less than 1% of the population that it affects. It's not a major ticket. It's not that it's not important to some people, but that should not be the platform for which we're deciding what's an important subject. Like, okay, we're at war with I don't understand the four different countries. We're occupying in eight different countries. There's what's being sold to you is that here's the two people, the mascots holding up, but the mascots are being held up by the same exact company. But same, those were the same. two mascots that that we had a choice of, honestly. Hence so, my plate reference. Okay. Right. But to Michael's I, I reference, I, I'm would sorry. we be better off would if Hillary be, Clinton is would president? Be, would it be different? Like I would argue, would yeah, it would be different because I don't think that the bar would be continually lowered as much as it has been. <laughs> I, I'll give you that. I'm not a defender of Donald Trump by any means, but... I understand that. Yeah. I mean, I would, I, would, I would... Let me answer your question, Joe. Yes, it would be different. That's a period at the end of that sentence, yeah. if you didn't hear it. Would it be better? Huh. I, I, it'd be fucking different. It'd be like, that's just like, okay, I'm going to. My go, argument go, is that it wouldn't I'm, be different. I'm, I'm going to the amusement park. I'm going to take a ride. Sure. Yeah, that one's different than that one. One goes around, one goes up and down. Do I want to get fucked in the ass or do I want to get like fucked in the ass I, and get a reach around? Okay, I mean, I, like, for sure, what's the fucking story? One for, costs more than the other. This for sure isn't to put anybody on like a side because I don't think anybody in this room really sides on one side, uh, which is I think the biggest problem is that the majority of people giving this is me given it, this is about as optimistic as I get. I think the majority of people are very rational and in the medium when they're not being persuaded otherwise but all we, the loud extremists are on the ends and that's what we hear from so let me let me like take a let me just be a third viewpoint mm -hmm. here and not that i'm condoning any of these three viewpoints sure would it be different and i know the answer to that is yes would it be better or worse if Mr. Sanders had been elected. <laughs> what? Mr. Paul had been elected. Did I, he even run in the last one, or did he just like no, no, because it was up? Gary Johnson okay. in the last yeah, one. Yeah, was yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Which, Whatever. Which is yeah. funny because all he got wrong was where he didn't know where Aleppo was, and that crushed him. Which, which is a funny thing not to know. But it's also right. very libertarian not to know. They don't want anything to fucking do with foreign powers. Yeah. They just want, <laughs> like, it made sense on his platform and everybody made fun of him for it. It was like, how? I, I, what anyway. the fuck does that matter to me here at home? Yeah. Well, I, I'm uh, going to say I, this. But you started out asking about journalistic ethics. And sure. I think that, that, <laughs> that you went to this, like, really, like, I'm still trying to. To, so I'm going to now try to bring it back a little oh, bit because I would say. Oh, my God. Please help like, us, Eric. The, <laughs> the reporter in. in in Chicago that's just doggedly going after corruption in the first ward, the reporter in, or reporters in Flint, Michigan, mm -hmm. that are doggedly staying on top of the story about the, the water, water crisis yeah. there. For that matter, the reporters that are working on the Jamal Khashoggi case, mm -hmm. or reporters in a country like Venezuela who are yeah. legit trying to get the story out about what's going on. Like, to those people and their work and their sense of journalistic ethics, the ones that are really doing the work that we probably should be listening to if we could find them. Mm. I don't think it matters to them one iota whether Hillary, Donnie, Ivanka, Bill, Bernie, Vlad, Vlad, they Vlad that yeah. doesn't change anything, right? No, no, like no, no. who's leading yeah. 
doesn't change the the ethical composure of the work that they're trying to do. No, because there'll always be teams. There, there'll always be team. Well, people part of a team that always sweep the sheds. <laughs> They're always they're, there's always going to be those people that do the work and yeah. do it correctly and stay after and make sure that it's ethically the 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 biggest problem is in incentivizing their status to the top so we hear those people doing good work as opposed to characterizing them as janitors right and and and, and disregarding their voice yeah. and, and I think that's an issue putting the bottom level of what I consider a human being in the top position of a leadership I, I mean and that goes for any side Democrat or, or Republican the the representatives that we have for this country are not representative of our best ideas period like that they just that's just not we have way better ideas we have more progress that we could possibly make I wish political office of any kind mm. was more of a hardship position. Are you, uh, Mar-a-Lago on the weekends doesn't cut it. <laughs> so, people are I, I, say, I just say, I, I just say ban <laughs> air conditioning in Washington, D.C. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, the, the you thing some, that's, that's You'd facing, only get the committed who would go. Journalism is facing a, the crisis that it's facing today because of, because of money. It seems mm -hmm. like there's big money in it. But the big money is staying funneled in very sort of thin slices sure. and thinner slices of the pie. I mean, we mentioned the the intelligencer, I think, is gone. Almost all the the um, free weeklies have been destroyed. A lot of local press mm -hmm. is being bought up and destroyed. You see uh, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, Guardian, a bunch of other, you know, pretty stand-up new news outlets laying off thousands struggling and yeah. struggling yeah. right and journalism is a competitive it's a competitive workspace right so i need to I, I you just reminded me i need to make sure and give some kind of commitment to the guardian because it's newspaper i go to and they're and read and they're yeah. struggling yeah and i think you know you, you get journalists who, but there it is come to that a voluntary contribution to an right. to an, like that's what it's come to you fucking serious people like well i mean your local public radio station does their annoying fun drive twice a year right totally. so yeah i'm actually going to participate in the next one here for krc or do you get yeah. you know the wall street journal which has you know in general pretty good articles and you go well eh, and it's a paywall and most people will stop at that that's right yeah right yeah. they'll read the first sentence we'll fuck these guys like it didn't take effort and, and, to write and they'll a 3000 word essay. about it yeah. Sure. That if they can access yeah. the comment section. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just like unbelievable. That Don't pay just so they can yeah, access yeah. the That goes on section. between the journalists. Yeah. Like, you know, it's one thing to say, I'm going to take extra risk and stay in this war zone a little bit longer because mm -hmm. I know then I'll get the better photo. Or I'm going to I'm going to take the chance to go interview this guy. He didn't kidnap the last mm -hmm guy that went to interview him so i'm gonna go these are stories that we actually Jeez. you know talked about but you take that into the space that that we're discussing now and you say okay it's super competitive i'm gonna compromise my ethics in how i write about that story it's not staying longer now it's shifting the right I know that this source is bullshit. I know that I'm plagiarizing this other person, yeah. but the competitive nature and, and the emotional nature of human beings, 
collides to create situations where you know it collapses a little bit and most of the time it just runs under the like this is a problem and not i don't want to like compare the two because one is totally unimportant and the other one is actually very important but the news out like the things that we bitch about dealing with fitness representation we see it now where um an article come out and this has happened this has actually been printed in a, a magazine a fake interview that never happened taking my pictures with yeah. words i've never mm. said and literally printed 50,000 copies in a magazine train magazine out of australia fuck you guys because you guys have no fucking ethics whatsoever i emailed him got a hold of the editor and he goes, Oh, well this journalist said this. And they said that they talked to you. I was like, I never talked to anybody and that's my fucking picture. And it doesn't have my credit. They stole it off of my website. And he goes, Oh, okay, we'll make it up for you. Do you want to write an article for us? <laughs> no, I don't want to fucking work for you. <laughs> like, but, but clearly, why am I even in, in relationship with you? And now point? we yeah. see it like Mark sees this all the time where they take his Instagram feed and they put, you know, oh, meet the fucking blah, blah, blah. It's just curation of garbage with a, an anonymous author. And I can see this happening in real jerk, not fake bullshit. Yeah, well, it doesn't my matter. Shit garbage. No, just a fitness article that reported on your garbage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I can see it happening in major news streams like where you see a subject gets taken up and then there's actually just bloviated, untrue things. And when it gets called out, it just kind of disappears. And then the next thing pops up. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I, like, I feel for the journalists because I, I do respect the people that do their job is very, very important. I just don't know how to like... I don't know how to decipher it. Maybe that's maybe in in my arena, I feel just as frustrated as somebody trying to find fucking fitness advice that keeps opening these fucking magazines and going, "What the fuck?" How do you discern? Yeah, I don't know what's what's real and I don't know what's not. And and why why am I going about my daily life with an attitude of suspicion? Oh, it's in my notes, actually. <laughs> okay. So if we could nice. close out with that, because nice. we're getting pr- pretty close to the, like, the limits of what okay, iTunes so will let us upload. I think this, but... this is a nice wrap-up. <laughs> Can you um, find it right away? Yeah, it's right Are here. Are you good? Let's do it. When you see something admirable, what is your reaction? Motivated and curious, or are you skeptical and pacified? <laughs> <laughs> Large black trash bag. Small kitchen bag. <laughs> Paper towels. That's the. You're getting to my Khashoggi Amazon list. It's basically what you're describing. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> to close out the episode, let me just say now, at the, in the, on the last page inside back cover of every uh, issue of Ray's, we have produced a classified ads section. <laughs> And most of these classified ads are jokes. Some of them are, you know, invitations to go see a particular band at a particular time at a particular location or whatever. And that's serious. Um, Sometimes it's this and that. But but there there are always joke advertisements in the classified sections. This is a joke. That's spelled J-O-K-E. That means we're fucking with you if you read it. In Raise 3, we were going to... I can't even say it. It was unfortunately when we built the built the JPEG, it was and and then reduced it to the size that needed to fit for the space that was available. Was it was illegible. It was too small. Maybe we'll have to do a full page, but it was basically uh, a 
a, a, a list in a shopping cart on Amazon of all the shit that you would need should you have a body <laughs> that you wanted to make go away so that people couldn't find it. There was lime, a bone saw, <laughs> nitrile gloves. Oh, my God. <laughs> a tarp. Too soon. Yeah. It went way <laughs> fucking too soon. I mean, it, oh, it was it, like the day it, after I made that shopping <laughs> list. And hence, J-O-K-E. And, yeah, shitty of us to even think about it, but... No, yeah, I, I don't that think it it's here. I think bringing attention, no, it's bringing to, it attention to stuff. Yeah. So like, you okay, how did this happen? And, and charter flights? <laughs> we didn't <laughs> fuck that would have taken an Expedia or an orbit yeah. sort of reference or they don't have that in yeah. Amazon yet <laughs> yeah but. exactly they're like multiple websites and you have to go and that's just too much for most of the people that read the classifieds in our little scene <laughs> I, what I really want to know because we talked about this at dinner god damn it we were just going to go way so want, over we can okay. leave it on this because yeah. what people <laughs> if you got one comment I mean you got multiple comments about your particular political views what the fuck are people going to say about this because we've bashed pretty much every side of this political <laughs> spectrum but it's equal opportunity and that's what's awesome yeah i yeah I, I agree no it's 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 thoroughly so i had this conversation the other day uh no yesterday exactly about political viewpoints oh you thought i was a fucking democrat and i was pimping for like you know when Bernie, i was of course no i was actually i was re broadcasting bullshit Hollywood opinion when I posted a link about Donald Trump buying a bunch of fucking hamburgers from fast food establishments for professional athletes who they'd won some shit. I don't care. They were, I can't they were college athletes. Oh, they were college? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like pro. Because yeah. a pro professional athlete could buy it for themselves and the whole big deal was like that. He paid for this with his own money. Well, he should have bought better food as rich as he fucking is or allegedly is, but we won't know that until his tax returns come out. Um, so I got kind of called out and somebody's called me like I was pimping for, you know, Hollywood opinion and this and that shit. And I was like, man, you don't know fuck all about my politics. Here's my fucking politics. I'm a libertarian. I'm all into personal freedom as long as it is irrevocably tied to personal responsibility. And that's what you all can't take. For the most part, so you don't, so you don't get to be free because you won't behave if you have freedom. You don't get power because you won't behave appropriately if you have power. Therefore, you shall be powerless and enslaved until you see a better way. And I don't know what that way is exactly because it's human nature and we're in a fist fight with it. Yeah. Vote Andrew Yang, 2020. Uh, hang on. There's a there's a solution here. Transhumanism. <laughs> I was gonna go with the four boxes, but oh. <laughs> fair enough. Soapbox, mm. ballot box, jury box, cartridge box. I was gonna say oblong blocks, pine box, <laughs> pine box. <laughs> yeah. And that's where it ends nice. for all of us. So none of this is relevant. Please stop listening. <laughs> thank we're... you, Eric, for coming on. <laughs> and thank, thank you, Joe, for joining us. I think if you make 10 episodes, you get a prize or some shit. <laughs> I think it's a plaque. Yeah, It's a punch. Well, we I'm have a punch pass. i still for one plaque. <laughs> no, uh, maybe they'll combine <laughs> it. Punch I think pass. they're going to combine it. <laughs> 
Sponge pass to Joe's come back. Right. Pass. I'm just we're we're done. I'm fading out on this one or cutting it off hard. 